Hey, Enigma Cruz here, the lead guitarist of Silent Mantra, and you're listening to the Just Conversation podcast. Warning, this program contains strong themes meant for a mature audience. Discretion is advised. Going live in 5, 4. What does live mean? Uh-huh. Welcome to the Just Conversation Podcast, a show where we discuss complex philosophic ideas in childish ways. I am your host, Jack. And I'm your host, Christina. And before anything, you guys need to go and hit that subscribe button. Remember to do that and you'll get notified the moment new episodes arrive. It'll fall into your little inbox thingy or your feed or your reader or your your place, wherever you are. I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. I'm sure something works different. Subscribe is ultimately the lesson here. Subscribe. This just conversation. Anyways, today, today we have a fascinating fascinating individual as a guest el senor enigma cruz from the band silent mantra is here to discuss all sorts of fascinating things and uh i'll take a deep dive into his brain and it's going to be definitely it's going to be something fascinating uh what do you think did you like i liked it so much and i feel like we learned so much about you too we learned about you and both of you guys yeah, we uh like a lot of the people that show up on this show. I you I either need to find you particularly interesting, or you have to be somebody who is part of my life in some impressive way. Either just old school friends, or we've gone through some things. In the case of Enigma, it's both of those situations, which mm-hmm. I am definitely fascinated by everything he does. I, I love creators. I love people who, who are willing to put themselves through the torturous experiences that come with trying to be creative. Yes. And it sounds like he loves it and he's never going to give it up anytime soon. Yeah. He, so. he, he dives in head first and yeah. he, the second one thing ends, he's already on the next one. And the, he's, he's, again, he's a force to be, to be reckoned with. He definitely, he's in love with the craft, with creating, with music, with just, he's a creator. He's definitely, unquestionably, undoubtedly a creator at the core. And on top of that, he is uh, one of the people I grew up sort of idolizing. I saw him. As the skater? He was definitely. Was uh, that the first that you saw him from? That you met him? Yes, I met, I met him when, when I started skating. We were, I started with a group of five. I was the fifth. And uh, we, together, we, like, there were people skating before us that got us into, well, they got them into it. I skated by myself, then I joined this group and really got into it. And with this group, they were influenced by one individual, and in that guy's group was Enigma. So there were the second generation, which is what we would call them. Because they they were influenced by literally the first skaters of our region. In our region in Jersey, there was a, not they weren't skaters. That wasn't a thing. Then a guy named Reggie showed up, and he him a dude named Goo and a couple of other guys got together, and they started skating and they started doing it when they were young. By the time they were in their twenties, they pulled in Lewis, they pulled in Enigma, they pulled in a couple of other guys. Lewis got the crew that I ended up joining started. He influenced them. They picked up boards. They started doing it. Then I got to jerseys and I joined them. And in Lewis's group was Enigma. Uh, he'd occasionally show up to skate with us, but he would skate with his group mainly. And he would show up with 
Enigma, and I would see... I'm a person who loves technicality. I love complicated things. And that was the first time I even knew a double kickflip was a fucking thing that could happen. I saw kickflips. I saw heel flips. We were all doing the basics. We were all still learning. And then I saw him do a double kickflip. And I'm like, what just happened in my world? He changed your life. He changed my life. Keep in mind, all my tricks now are complicated technical things, doubles and triples and, and sex changes and varials of all sorts. It, he's the reason that's a thing at all. I saw him do it first. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I wonder if he still ever picks up a skateboard. I don't know. That's fascinating. I didn't even ask if he if he uh, still skates. But uh, he, he definitely changed my my life in that aspect. I saw somebody so dedicated to it, and uh, I was so impressed. He he was on a league of his own. His own homies would discuss him like, yo, he's a savage. You know, it's too much. He said, when he gets here later, you're going to be blown away by he's what he could do. things that seemed impossible. Yes, and for the time, it was incredibly uncommon. It was so uncommon to see somebody do a double kickflip. We're talking like 15 years ago. A double kickflip. You knew who had a double kickflip. You are a, you, you're one of the best in the area. And he definitely, he had such complicated tricks. But then I I, I stole, I, I power sucked his, I took his power, you know. Your soul is mine. Took it and I definitely rolled with it. I, I learned how to double kickflip. And like he said, nightmare flips. Those are my one try trick now. And it's because he did it first. And the dedication that he had towards skating made me want that same thing because again i saw what he what we will talk about here i saw in him that that struggle where the harder it was the more he wanted to do that thing and i found that so fascinating and resonated so much that it got me addicted to that same aspect of skating which was he's doing something difficult he loves it what if i aim towards something difficult i tried to get the double kickflip i was the youngest one of us to do it i learned how to kickflip vario kickflip and double kickflip, and those were my first three tricks. And it immediately set the stage for all my tricks evolving to being something more technical than not. And I just became obsessed with flat ground and the complicated tricks. And I don't mind the rest of it. Like, I did stairs, and I did rails, and I did uh, ramps, and I did whatever. But it, I never had the love for those things that I had for just something technical as fuck, like a trick with, like, nine parts in it. That sounds crazy. <laughs> Nine parts. Yeah, some uh, tricks are crazy. It'll be like three yeah. kickflips in one with a shove it and your body's moving in different directions. Like, what the hell did you just do? Like, yeah. And I definitely got a lot of that from him. I grew up uh, fascinated by him. He was uh, locally, he was definitely always my favorite skater. Then uh, following him around a bit through his work, seeing uh, his evolution through music, I definitely have always highly respected him in that aspect that he's. Uh, you know how I am. I love people who strive. And he's never not stopping that motion forward. And uh, uh, we've had a lot of people here who want to do things and don't move to do them. He doesn't have that problem. Like a lot of people feel stuck and they get stagnant and they don't go anywhere. And it's like your inability to accept delayed gratification is what has you stagnant he understands that the work equals the reward yeah and he understands that the work is the fun part not the reward yeah it sounds like he loves it 
yeah, you have to love what you do, and he loves what he does, and I respect that highly, and I definitely, uh, following his work, uh, we went through to, to one of his uh, little concerts a while ago, uh, just, I don't know, I've always been fascinated by the guy, so, so this is definitely one of my favorite conversations that uh, we've had on the show so far. It was very fluid, and on top of that, we got to jump into some of the more philosophical things, which I do love. There was some heavy morality being discussed. There was discussion of ego. We got a couple of things going on. Faith. Wow, yeah, you know what? We definitely dove realistically, instead of all trolly, the way we usually do, we got real uh, serious about a, a discussion on, on faith and religion and gods and creationism and all those things. So I definitely enjoyed this a lot. This is one of my favorite episodes thus far. I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as, uh, as, as we did. As we did, yeah. Yeah, and check him out, maybe. Yeah, look at uh, check out all his stuff. He has a couple of places. uh he threw some at the beginning, and as soon as the uh, show's over, you, at the very end, he'll give his plugs, and then we'll repeat them at the end so you guys know where to find them. All the all the places you can check out El Senor. So I hope you guys enjoy. Enjoy. Enigma Cruise. Hi. Hi. Hi, my name is Nick. I'm Brandon. We are the hosts of the Tennis Podcast, where every week we cover a different top tennis list. We cover lists such as the highest grossing films of all time, the best selling musicians of all time, the the sexiest mogwais, the richest leprechauns, the all this and more we cover on the Tennis Podcast. I had more. You can find us on all podcast players, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. All you got to do is search for 10ISH Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tennis Pod. And Brandon, what will we do if the listeners don't check out our podcast? We'll cut your fucking head off. Don't make us cut your fucking head off. Listen to the Tennis Podcast. Bye. It's pretty good, man. I like the weather. I, I don't miss the fucking cold weather from Jersey and having to fight over parking, you know, when it snows. Damn, dude, but you do all. have to deal with the uh, the potential that the world falls apart every time hurricane season comes through. <laughs> pretty much, man. But a lot of the times it's like overhyped. So like I remember, uh, I think it was like two, three years back, there was a, a pretty substantial one coming. But so we, we fled up north for a while for like a week. And it ended up, like, not being that bad at all. So it's like, you know how it is. It's yeah, hype. yeah. It's A lot of it is hype. A lot of it is just a bunch of people getting very... Because some people... You got to understand how often people flock to Florida and then aren't ready. Especially for, like, for Puerto Ricans. They deal with, like, crap like that on the regular. It's just something that happens every other year yeah. that they got to deal with the fucking... The potential of this storm is going to become a... It's like every storm is tropical over there. You're in the tropics. What the fuck can you do? Yeah, pretty much. Like, with every birth, you get, like, a hurricane survival kit, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's fucking crazy, man. And then that. <laughs> so, so you, you haven't been witnessing the end of the world too fluidly on your side, I'm assuming? No, no I mean, uh, aside from Florida, man, headlines all the time, you know, that's... Uh, everything else is normal you know yeah people down here are either they're either really nice or on meth so or old so i'm sure like a good 95 <laughs> percent of your population is just very very ancient retired individuals yeah yeah they're they're either ancient you know dinosaurs or they're really creative with the way they fuck things up so <laughs> oh fair enough 
see if you're gonna be poor or homeless might as well do it where you won't freeze to death right yeah exactly exactly that's i think that's the uh, idea that's why i moved <laughs> hey it totally makes sense if if life suddenly failed you at least have the ability to have the sun on your back rather than freeze overnight exactly like i don't want to do that in newark like i'm good yeah no that sucks. that's a very depressing <laughs> atmosphere to be in so uh so what's been up uh project wise dude what have you been up with so man since i've been down here i've done a couple of different things right now the most recent project is called silent mantra and um, I, I would consider ourselves like a rock band with prog elements, things like that, along the lines of like Tool, um, maybe Audio Slave, Coheed and Cambria. Um, we try to draw from a bunch of different places, but that's the latest thing I've been doing. Um, but before that, I was doing fingerstyle guitar. I was I had a different band. Um, I try to stay as active as possible with uh, with music, man. Yeah, dude, I, I constantly see you uh, posting. For a while, I've been watching you do posts and little projects that show up. Uh, people, f you, you have a weird sort of. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it. You got like a small groupie following. I don't know that there's videos of you randomly on like YouTube playing and stuff, and there's videos on Instagram of you doing uh, technical things. Uh, acoustic things playing around with homies and stuff like that you're kind of on the internet it, a lot of it looks like without your awareness like somebody's just watching you and aiming a camera in your direction and then decided to upload it <laughs> I, I not groupie following not that i'm aware of i i don't i haven't felt that amount of love yet but uh i mean you know i appreciate whoever uh you know takes the time to listen and 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 pay attention to what it is that i do that you know, I really appreciate that. So, yeah. Oh, definitely, dude. I've been seeing that you do a lot of technical things. You, your guitar skills have... The best way to describe how I've seen the progression is you were very chord-based before, and now you are on a, on a very sort of technical angle learning more intricate things to do with the guitar. I find that very interesting. What, what's been making you want to do that? So, yeah, um, you know... I've uh, I've considered myself a songwriter more than anything um, for most of my, you know, quote unquote musical career. Um, and I guess as of maybe a year or so ago, uh, I decided I needed to find um, a more adequate way to express myself through the instrument. Like I felt like I maybe I hit like a plateau or I heard things in my head that I wasn't able to fully you know, uh, expressed through the guitar the way I really wanted it to. Yeah. So I, I bought some courses and um, I started studying a little bit more and just practicing a little bit more. And so I'm getting, you know, to the lead guitar side of things a little bit more um, so that I can express the ideas that I hear in my head. How would you describe how you were playing before when you were uh, being less technical but being more uh, chord-based and being more, uh, I guess, rhythm rhythmic with it, right? Um. You know, I've always had, I've always had, uh, I guess, a sound, um, or at least from from what other people tell me. Like, <laughs> I've had people tell me, "Hey, when it when when I hear you playing, I know it's you. Like, it's it's crazy, but I know it's you. Like, you, it sounds like you." Um, and I, I I've had influences from from Coheed and from Wonder and you know Motown and a, a bunch of different places. I used to study jazz and and uh, and classical. Um, so I guess. I don't know if I would describe it as a chordy type of thing, but it was definitely more 
based around songwriting and uh, making sure that the fundamental of, of of or the foundation of the song was there so that you know the vocals and everything else that sat, sat on top of it was really supported um and now i guess just the videos that i've been posting haven't been so cordy based they've been more focused on the voicing aspect of like try, almost trying to mimic what a singer would sound like. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the guitar is the lead singer. Like the guitar is the, how would I put it, the face of whatever project would you be working on if we, without even seeing anybody, we can assume based on how you're playing, you're either aiming to be comparable to the voice or aiming to be the voice with the guitar. That's, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good observation. Um, I mean, with, with the videos, I was thinking, the reason I've been doing that is because I, I, whenever I listen to music, I hear the vocals first, right? I don't pay attention to the guitars. I could give a fuck about a guitar player. And it's funny because I'm a guitar player. But what, what really draws me in first are the vocals. And so I guess that's what I'm trying to do, um, or, or learn that skill set. For me, since I can't really sing, I'm not, I don't consider myself a singer. I want to be able to, sing through the instrument um but in this project silent mantra i'm very much um in the background poking out in certain places uh when need be but but it's not all up front you know i'm I'm supporting the vocals okay why guitar of all possible instruments you could have landed on well what why that what made that the thing that you magnet to outside of all and i've known you for like (laughs) life dude of all the different things you could have done of all the technical skills you had even my skating was ripped off of seeing you skate when i was younger the the (laughs) you had the technical in you why the guitar not a violin why the guitar not piano why the guitar specifically what was about the guitar that called you so i originally started playing piano and singing in choir um that's where my musical background comes from um and i never wanted to be a guitar player man i always thought that the guitar players were like these cocky little pricks up front you know trying to get all the glory and like look at them i don't want to be that i wanted to be in the background like just playing the piano or whatever like i never yeah. wanted to be that and um and so I, I one summer i was staying with my grandparents visiting my grandparents in puerto rico and um we went up to what we call the campo which is like you know the countryside over there and uh i met this this guy who was a guitar teacher and, and his brother was a piano player and um and they started playing and, and, you know, the guitar teacher, he taught me like, I think it was like a D chord and it, it felt so foreign to me. I was like, well, what the hell is this instrument? What is this weird position? I can't, I couldn't even do it with my fingers. Right. And, uh, and I thought nothing of it. I went home and then, um, I think the next summer my grandparents surprised me with, with an acoustic guitar, a classical guitar from that same guy. They bought it off of him. And, uh, and I remember, like, he taught me, like, I think it was, uh, what's my age again from Blink-182? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I did not put that, that, that night, I did not put that guitar down, just practicing that, that, for, I remember clearly that first night, because my fingers were hurting so bad, man. And, uh, I don't know, I, I was hooked ever since that moment. I don't know why I kept going, because, you know, truth be told, guitar is, is a very hard instrument to learn. At least in the beginning, it really is. Yeah, there's um, a learning you know, with curve. Piano, you can just press. 
What was that? That there's a definite learning curve to it. Uh, not like you were about to say, a piano you can just hit a single key and you've accomplished something. In a guitar, you hit exactly. a single chord and it doesn't really sound like anything. Yeah, because you you got to press your fingers a certain way at a certain position with the right picture. Um, you just don't get so it's not instant gratification, right? With piano, it's instant gratification. Um, guitar, you kind of got to work for it. And so I don't know what, maybe I'm a masochist or something. I don't know, but I kept going with it and it, it just called to me, you know, and, uh, and I was hooked, man. And I came back and I was playing in the jazz band in high school and, and I took up the guitar, uh, to play jazz in, in that band. And I started a, a rock band, you know, almost right away with, with three chords that I knew or something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, I just, it's been uh, it driving you ever it. since it's uh, been moving you forward. It really, really has to the point where, you know, I was really into skateboarding and um, I, I loved it. it. It really did a lot for me and made me think differently in a lot of different ways. Um, but there was a moment where I guess I had like a, a fork in the road. Like, do I really pursue skateboarding or do I pursue music? And uh, I guess without thinking about it, I, I chose music. Yeah, like naturally took over. Uh, what, what I will say about that uh, fork in the road is that the technicality again i i'm probably the most technical skater i've met next to me i think you're definitely the second most technical skater i've ever met you had what double flips the first time i ever saw that was from you and you had very difficult tricks that were based on technicality entirely that sort of manifested in specifically now with the with the work i've been seeing you put out now you, as you try to take more center stage rather than just be another guitarist as you try to develop your guitar playing skills it shows that those muscles you exercise when younger are definitely very worked out because <laughs> the skill is there. You have the technical prowess to kind of go pretty far with your guitar playing. It shows. It's always been in you, and the reason you were skating in the first place, I would say, is because you have a sort of addiction to the technical. Well, thank you, man. Um, uh, I think just the way my mind works, I I tend to pay attention to the nuances and things, um, and, and may, maybe that's why... I, I might be a little bit more on the technical side of things. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I would consider myself technical. It's just, it's the way it feels, the way it sounds, um, the way it triggers my brain um, or, or makes me want to engage with it. You know, skateboarding was very much like that. There was this very tactile feel to, uh, or, or this challenge to figure out, you know, how to, flick your board out or your foot out a certain way so that the board did something uh you know you, you were able to command the board a certain way um and there was no feeling like that and so when i picked up guitar it i guess it reminded me of that that that's a pretty good question um yeah it, i guess it reminded me of that and i was able to see i saw patterns um and I was able to really, really, you know, I'll say uh, what you just said that. right there kind of definitely uh, that stands out to me. You earlier, you said you might be like a masochist to some degree. And what brings people into skating is one of two things. You you either feel so different that the group of skaters, which tend to be like the weirdest group of people, are the only place you feel home. So you accept the challenge in order to feel welcome somewhere or you're a masochist in skating and you want to do something 
unbearably difficult for seemingly no reason other than the challenge itself. <laughs> and it seems like when that became, when you, because you were particularly good and then you're hanging out with people who are equal or less good, the challenge leaves because you're not surrounded by like pro skaters doing crazier things. The guitar came along and it showed you a similar different challenge from the start again and now it's yeah. very very difficult all over again yeah um with guitar i've i've been able to navigate uh, um certain levels and plateaus that have been presented to me um and and keep trying to push past those boundaries um skateboarding really was two things for me one it was this this artistic cultural thing um where uh, I, I just I saw the movements of certain people like everyone had a style right when they skated yeah. like everyone can do a kickflip but the way they did it had a certain style it had a certain thing about their personality that you can kind of see right away and it was very expressive in that sense and, and that I gravitated towards that because of it and then the other thing which was the first thing that you uh, pointed out um there were a lot of people who I could relate to who skated like they were kind of outcasts they um, came from all different kind of walks of life. Um, I played baseball and soccer before that. And yeah, it had its fulfilling moments, but I needed something for the individual, you know. And so skateboarding was a bunch of individuals coming together and having a good time and being able to express themselves. And I, I guess that's what really did it for me. Um, with music, it's kind of similar, um, even though I, uh, I'm very picky who I play with. Um, I've always been like that. And it's just because I feel like music is is way more personal to me. Um, and it's not about the skill. I guess it's about like who you are as a person um, really translates into your music. And so I'm very picky about that. <laughs> I can I can definitely understand that you want a vibe that is not just the way the music itself plays when you're playing with the person but you want to feel it resonating off of the individual almost you want to connect mentally and emotionally equal to how you do musically or rather you want to connect mentally and emotionally in order to be able to connect musically otherwise it's just two people playing instruments next to each other yeah man you know playing music is is like it's like intercourse it's like sex right and if you do it right maybe you get a baby and develop a relationship afterwards and then that song becomes that's your baby but you just made a baby with someone and you better be sure that you know that person um connects with you at a certain level and that you can nurture this baby so that when the baby goes out into the world it'll be okay, you know? So when that song gets released and, and it's no longer yours, it's, that song is going to be okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a representation of those who were involved. And that's, I guess that's how I feel. It's, just, it's a personal thing, you know? It, it feels that personal to me. I feel it, it's personal, but I don't feel it's uncommon. I think that when it comes to music, playing with somebody, how do I put it? There are people who play, for example, you're, you're reading off of a page, music somebody else made, and you're doing it at a competition, and you're just knocking sure. down the notes accordingly, and they can sit anybody next to you who knows how to complete the other part, and you can play with that person, and you don't care because it's about following the book. 
But then yeah, there's sure. the moment where you are trying to make a song or play a song with your own personal taste. And a certain almost vulnerability comes with that. The way you're expressing sort of maybe not the song itself, but the way you're expressing the song, the way you're putting sort of your emotions into it, the way you're aiming to play it, the way just just the way you resonate when you're playing the music is vulnerability almost because you're showing truly how you feel, truly how you are at any given moment. And you want to only show that to somebody who you feel comfortable with. It's like talking about something intimate with a stranger. Yeah, no, exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. Because, you know, when you have an idea um, and you bring it to someone else, there, there's this, this fragile moment where you're like, oh, you know, are they going to like this? You know, I don't know. Is this good? You've kind of sat with the idea for, for a bit. So maybe you're too close to it. And now you have to present it to someone else to, for them to add their own thing to it. And then if they like it, you have to be um, receptive to what it is that they add to it and kind of start shaping this thing together. And and maybe you don't like their idea. But, and how do you express that to them? And so it becomes like it's it's this puzzle. It's this really complicated puzzle that involves people's emotions and sound and ideas. And then you just want to serve the song. So you want to try to take the ego out of it. And so you have to be able to do that with with the right people that that takes a certain combination of, of personalities, um, as opposed to like you said, you know, when you're reading off of a page or you're, you're in a cover band, that's a very different story. That's, you know, you're you're playing somebody else's music. And, you know, I, I've done that before and, and it has its time and place and it's cool, you know. But I much rather do the uh, the other thing. <laughs> yeah, because there's, it it feels like you're involved when you're creating something, and you definitely want to create something, but you also don't want to just make anything. You want to create specifically you. You want to create something good. You want to create something at least you can be proud of. And it's like having a kid that turns out to be a total dick. You don't want a kid <laughs> that turns out to be a total dick. But how do you avoid that? You don't have a kid with somebody who's a total dick exactly yeah and and i mean sometimes even like i end up hating the kid right i end up hating the song or, or like thinking man i didn't put I didn't, I didn't put my best in this one you know and now it's out in the world but it's, it's no longer yours so how do you deal that's, with that's when that happens when you have a song that you uh become unsatisfied with what's what's your steps towards that do you are you one who could easily walk away from it are you somebody who sits down and is like let's let's rework this do you scratch the idea and start with something new what's what's the method for you to deal with something that you completed but aren't pleased with or is it more like i already did it let's just put it out there anyways because somebody will like it like what's what's the angle here well you know our music goes through a certain process it you know once it's written and um and that takes that takes a while sometimes but once it's written and everyone is kind of happy with it with their parts we do a pre-production which uh, we go to my house and we it's like a demo of it, right? We lay down all the parts that we have as is. We um, we add any other ideas like any synths or special effects or things like that. And uh, this is where we get to hear if our ideas really work on, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in Pro Tools or listening back as a full song, right? Yeah. Um, and once that's done, then you go into the studio and you're paying money, you know, to, to record these songs. And so once those songs are recorded, man, 
if you hate them, you have two options. Either you don't release them or you j- you release them, right? Because you've already paid money. They're recorded. There's nothing you can do at that point. So I've, I've had, you know, I've had moments where um, I've recorded something. It was released and I, I look back on it and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I shouldn't have done that or it didn't sound the way I wanted it to. But um, those are just my personal feelings towards it, man. I have to. I go through stages. Like sometimes I just have to let it go, you know? Um, I mean, that's a realistic uh, way to deal with it because that's sort of the mind of a writer is that you always hate what you did, but you always love what you're doing because everything you've already done is mediocre compared to what you've learned since that very moment. It could be just one song later and the tricks you've learned that you didn't even think about for the previous song, just become incredibly obvious that they're not there. Yeah, exactly. It's because it's, you know, the creative process essentially is, or, or, or the completion of the creative process is, is essentially a snapshot of a moment in time, right? Of who you were back then, what your abilities were at that moment, what your emotions were at that moment. And then, you know, once that's done, it's done. But sometimes the public doesn't doesn't get to hear or experience your art until much later because of you know other uh, uh, other procedures in, in the machine that that the song has to go through, right? Um, so that's what it is. It's a snapshot of of yourself in that moment. So it, you know who you are when you release it is not the same person um, that created it, you know. And I, I guess that's where that, that happens. Yeah, that's the growth of the artist. Every time you do something, you learn from it. By the time you're done, you there's some, some things that only looking at the completed product can you even see the flaws and the holes in the machine. And yeah, you yeah. sort of end up, I don't even know how to put it, you end up not hating but seeing the gaps in the creation and wishing for that time machine to go back and tell the previous you this is what you need in that spot that problem you couldn't solve for like three weeks this is the solution that happens in five minutes (laughs) yeah yeah but you know what it's it's chase of uh perfection and there's no such thing um and uh, the faster we learn that, the better, because otherwise we're always going to be unhappy with what we're doing, right? Um, and that's really what it is. Like, I can look back on it and be like, I wish I did this, I wish I did that. But the truth is, it is what what it is in that moment. Like, you worked with who you worked with. It sounded the way it sounded. Decisions were made, and now you got to let it go. And you know, people are not going to obsess over it as much as you have. You know, and uh, sometimes you, you you can get too far into your own head. I'll say not only can nobody sort of witness the full process, I'll say the part that the creator, in this case you, uh, considers the art isn't even the finished product, which is why a lot of us, when we create something and we look back, we tend to be critical of the judgment. But looking at whatever we're doing, we're always like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done in the process of doing it is because for the artist, the art is the process for the consumer, the art is the finished product. So what you are considering the, the enjoyment, what you're getting fun out of what you're getting is a struggle. 
is the fight is the uh how how am i going to make it work how do i solve this problem it's staying up that night before you're going into the studio and you're like i still haven't figured out the solution for this one thing i don't know if i speed up the flow or slow it down or add a chord or take a chord out or what do i do and you're up all night trying it 800 million different ways because tomorrow's studio night and i'm gonna get there and i'm gonna be tired but it's gonna be complete tomorrow <laughs> yeah man it, it, and it's it's a funny thing because you know sometimes even when you're doing when you're in the middle of the process um or i'll speak for myself sometimes i can't even enjoy the process because i'm like i need to get this done and you know how are we going to get this done like i'm too busy problem solving and going through it that sometimes like I, I have to look back once it's completed. I look back at the process and be like, oh, that was a great time. Like I should have enjoyed that more. You know, here's what I'll um, say. Even if you think you're not enjoying it during a moment of struggle, I'll say that the bad times in the middle of a project are the sort of the most enjoyable times in the middle of a project because they're also the moments you learn the most. They're, mo they're the moments you leave the most with. They're the most applicable when you finally, if, if it's always good and it's fluid and you guys just made something awesome and it was just awesome instinctively and naturally and no struggle happened. Yeah, great. We did it. But if there was this big obstacle in the way and it took away the fun and you were just struggling for that time, when you finally do solve it, the, the sort of liberation, the yes moment that comes over you. <laughs> is something so much better than a fun, easygoing project could have gone. For sure, because I think it's at the core of it, it's about the story, right? And, you know, every great story has those moments where you, you don't know how the character is going to make it through, how they're going to solve this problem. Um, and, you know, as humans, we're very much in tune with storytelling, um, since the beginning of time, people had sat around fires and told stories, you know, um, and it's evident now more than ever in, in, in our culture in the United States, you know, we idolize movie stars and, and we go to the movies and, and pay money to see these things. And it's very apparent that storytelling is, is alive and well. And I think that's, that's, that's a part of why we enjoy the, the struggle so much because later on we're like, hey, remember that, that time where, you know, our bass player was on meth and he, you know, <laughs> we had to make it the next day into the studio or whatever, you know. But yeah, yeah, I think that's why. Okay, now now that you've smoothly migrated that towards uh, stories, you, you bring something <laughs> interesting to my mind, which is um, a lot of musicians go one of two ways primarily and then slowly work their way to the other, which is, do you create an idea and turn that idea into the music or does the process of creating the song land in the music? Sort of like a, a song speaking of itself, even if you attach uh, key words that are like, oh, I'm singing about a woman. But in reality, you're just singing about the struggle of making this song or do you actually sit down and, oh, I actually knew a woman. Let me write that and then take that in and write that story. Hmm. Um, I think it, I think it really uh, uh, differs, man. It, it depends on, on, on what the idea or, or the conception of the idea, um, because the, the process can be different every single time. I don't know if I have or if I've ever had a, a set process of doing something um, or the way something came together. 
Um, I, I do remember with, uh, do you remember the project Sias? Yes. So with Sias, um, it was a very vivid moment in my life because, um, that whole album was about this crazy experience I had with, um, with my girlfriend at the time. Um, and I turned that into a, a, a concept album where it was this, this almost like sci-fi thing that was happening in the background. Um, but it was very much echoing. Uh, a lot of the dark emotions that that I was experiencing at the time, and so that process was very different than say you know the way I'm doing it right now. Um, so so I, I think it really depends on on what state of mind I'm in or, or what my goal is with a certain project. I could definitely get behind that. I know that as a writer, one of the main things that I have learned in my tragic tragic steps through all of this is that you can even if you think there's a uh, format that you're gonna follow you're like yes this worked last time then you sit down and you're like i'm gonna do that thing i did last time that worked so well halfway through that it's already something different even if you tried to stick to it no matter how hard you did new parts came in old parts left you found out how to do things better some things just sucked in general and the process evolved even if you tried to do and imitate whatever magic you captured in the bottle before, you end up with different magic in the bottle every time. Yeah, exactly. Because the magic in the bottle is all in the moment, right? And if you're if you're constraining that moment, if you're if you're you know trying to suffocate it and, and make it go a certain way, it's never going to turn out um, the way you intended to. That's why I like artists who made something amazing and influential try to, you know, years, years later, try to recreate, you know, or go back to, to what made them popular and they can't do it. They can't replicate it. I completely agree. Like, That's the death of music of when Eminem, you try to... Like, right away. Well, what about Eminem? Well, you know, Eminem, like, he, one, he's one of my favorite rappers. Um, but if you if you go through his career, um, you know, the Marshall Mathers um, LP, or EP, or LP, I think. Yeah. Marshall Mathers LP was one of the his best albums ever um yeah i think it's the highest selling album in history yeah yeah and uh and that can't be recreated because eminem was going through a very specific thing at that moment and and he was doing drugs and this chaos and he still had something to prove um to the world and now he's one of the greatest rappers ever and he is sober and he's trying to figure out how to recapture that lightning he said it himself in, in a couple of songs you know and uh yeah i i think you can't you can't try to do that you you just have to let the moment be what it is and and figure out how to navigate that that process yeah you have to how do i put it in that example you're he's essentially living in the past rather than feeling out whatever the circumstance might be and then turning that specific circumstance into the art. He was wondering how did I do it, not how do I do it. Yeah, exactly. And and he, I'm sure he's faced with with a lot more than that like it's not black and white like you know, he he's he's facing the fans who want the old Eminem um, and they're like, what is this garbage now? What, you know, go back to what you used to do. And then he's like, but I'm a different person now, you know, like, yeah, yeah. how do I, do I give them what they want? How do I even do this? Like, I'm sure a lot of artists face that, you know, at some point in their careers. But it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because what I do see specifically with Eminem, he, he sort of found that middle ground, I think, where people were looking for the Marshall Matters LP. I'll say the Marshall Matters LP 2 wasn't like as powerful an album, but I'll say Revival 
particularly. Nobody seemed to like that album, but I think it's because he did what he did for the Marshall Matters LP1. Like, he did sort of capture the magic in the bottle, but he did it in the essence of now. So he was like, that was dark. It was very real. It was the most honest I could be. And then in Revival, he puts out songs about that time he made somebody get an abortion and songs about reminiscing on almost dying in the hospital and him writing a letter to himself, essentially, about what that experience was like. And I feel like he sort of figured out how to do the old and do the new. And it ended up a weird hybrid that people were just not expecting. And it was very dark. It was very dark. I think that's probably his darkest work to date. And he evolved in a... I don't know. It was very different. I feel like a lot of artists struggle to detach from, like you said, the fans that are expecting something and the you that you've naturally become. And it's a weird middle ground. Yeah, um, yeah, Eminem is, is, and he's a special breed because, you know, he's had his whole life, um, really, really changed dramatically after, after that Marshall Mathers LP was released. Um, you know, he can't be in public like that. He, he had to adapt to learn a certain way. And then, you know, his best friend dies proof and, um, and then he almost dies and, so he's gone through some through some heavy things and not to mention he's written a lot of material. So how do you keep finding something to write about without you know being repetitive, repeating yourself? How do you go somewhere um, new? Yeah, how how do you keep break, breaking the mold and then being satisfied with it? And I think just Eminem right now might be he might be exercising his songwriting in front of a crowd, right? And sometimes when you do that, you have to accept that the the criticism is going to follow um, because you're not constantly putting out your best thing. Yes, you're he's putting st- out. You're still finding out. Like like beta yeah. work. He's putting out the the still in production is going out. And it might sound like something crazy. I never thought of it like that. That's crazy. It's coming out as something refined from our point of view. And we're just saying, no, we don't like it. And it's because he doesn't think it's refined. It's just the caliber at which he brings it makes it look that way. But he's just like working out an idea in his mind. Exactly. Because, you know, he has access to all these, you know, high end studios. He has a studio in his house. Um, he has access to whatever producers, whatever beat makers. And when you have so many options and things like that, that can also be a hindrance um, because you have too many voices and too many, um, too many ways to go. As opposed to when you only have a certain set of tools and you have to make do with those tools. I think that's where creativity really shines and something special comes out. Yeah, yeah. I will say that a completely openness. How do I put it? It's like if somebody comes up to you and they're your painter and they walk up to you and they're like, paint me something. You're like, what the fuck? What do you mean? Paint you something. Paint me anything. You have the <laughs> biggest blank slate in the world. You don't know what to do, and you, like, wow, out of all the things in the universe, you want me to paint you something. But then somebody comes up to that same paint, and they're like, look, paint me a building, and you can't use trees, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and uh, you can only use this kind of brush. Now you have something to work with. You're going to paint the best thing in the world, because there are obstacles and things to force you to think. But if you have access to everything that's ever existed, where the fuck do you even start? There's no challenge anymore. 
Yeah, you know, I've had that happen to me where um, people are like, yeah, yeah, play something. Um, or like I was with with the family recently at um, we went to, like a dolphin cruise and then came back and went to some bar where this guy was playing, um, you know, some cover songs. It was just a guy and a guitar. And my uncle started drinking and uh, and he went up to the guy and told him that I played. And so in front of everyone, the guy called on me to to come up and and play and sing for him right or for everybody at the bar and in that moment like i i blanked out i'm like i didn't prepare anything what what the hell do i put i don't i'm not a player i don't like i forgot how to play guitar yeah yeah the moment caught you off guard yeah because it's i'm not for me i'm not that type of person i'm not like the freestyle rapper who can you know off the top of the head um, come up with with the craziest punchlines and and rhyme schemes and things. I'm more of a uh, methodical. I'll sit down and prepare something, and then I'll present it to you. And and you know, more than likely, you'll you'll be able to enjoy it that way. But I I can't just get up there and and uh, and do that. So yeah, I, I guess that's that's the first thing I thought of when when you said that. Yeah. So you definitely. You, how do I put it? It's not even a matter of pressure at that point because you do give yourself the pressure. It's sort of the lack of planning that caught you there. You rather have a roadmap in front of you instead. One that you crafted yourself and you picked all the parts for and you understand every bit of this map and you're going to stick to the plan rather than sort of, hey, here, do a thing. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like a like a circus monkey when that happens. I don't know. Um, what you do I have to understand uh, is that just, people who don't know how to do a thing see somebody who does know how to do a thing, and they're in their mind they see circus monkey. They literally see circus yeah. monkey. They're like, he knows a trick. I don't know. Do it for me. Do it for me. <laughs> I think that's exactly it, man. And I mean, at some degree, I, I maybe I should learn how to embrace the moment a little bit more, like be more spontaneous. But I just I know myself and just it's not a huge part of my personality. <laughs> well, I, I I'll give you a solution for that. I say get like three songs that you practice to near perfection over and over and over and over and just call those your in the moment songs. I have so many of those. Now, I know uh, uh, I'm classically trained on piano and violin. And with the piano, I learned how to sort of sound out the, the notes. I can hear the thing and then imitate it almost immediately. But go ahead and tell me to do that at a random moment. And I don't know how to play the piano anymore. But yeah, yeah. for those to solve that same problem, I have very specific go-to songs that I can just play and people will be like, oh, how impressive is he? And it's like, because I've played the song so many freaking times. If I didn't know how to play it, then I'd have a problem. That's, that's cool. I didn't know you uh, were a classically trained piano player, man. Uh, I knew you wrote, um, I guess you, you write poetry and things like that? or I write poetry. Well, I write uh, novels, short stories. I do everything. All kinds of writing. I exercise awesome. every method, even songs. You, I do a bunch of songs. Are you are you like pursuing um, publishing something in the future or? Yeah, yeah. I published a very crappy first book that I'm going to re-edit, a second short story, and I am almost done with a third novella right now. That's awesome, man. I would like to read something uh, sometime. What did, what what did you do your most recent work on? My recent work is a semi-romance-ish, uh, I guess it's not a novella, it's like 
maybe 20,000 words, 25,000 words. But it's a sort of romance, quote, romance, unquote, because I wouldn't say I'm the <laughs> romance type. And it's neither, like, reading through it, you'll be like, oh, it's a story about a guy who likes a girl. Until you get sort of to the meat of the story and you're like, oh, fuck, this is dark. Because I like, <laughs> how do I put it? If you've ever read any of my poetry or any of my work, I do sort of perspective twists i like to change how people think about certain things so i'll rephrase something or i'll change the meaning uh, i remember writing a poem about love and i was talking about the moon the whole time but people projected the love onto the poem when i was just talking about fascination with the sky and the idea is to change uh, an individual's perspective on what they're looking at what they're reading and have them put their own idea in there for example, one of the things I always do when I write is I never name my main character. I don't describe what they look really? like. I don't describe their physical features, their height. I, I stay vague on who they are, how their voice sounds. I express more their thoughts than anything. And I tell the story. All my stories are first person. I don't like third person because I feel it detaches the reader. I like them to think that they are the character. So what do you? So two questions. What do you think? that does for the reader not knowing uh a name or character description like the main character and two what do you hope it does for the reader oh wow okay so what do i think it does for the reader um the lack of a name makes them one i for a lot of the time hope they don't even notice it happens i hope they read through the story because uh one of the skills i try to develop a lot is to make it fluid enough that you never question the fact that you never heard the narrator's name. I love okay. that concept that you were never aware of it, because that just means you're reading some words and you never disassociated the fact that you're not that character. I never gave you a name. You're not thinking, oh, Jeffrey said this thing. No, you're thinking... So, so you're basically putting the reader uh, into the shoes of the main character. Like You, you want them to be the character. Yes, that would be what I expect is happening and what I would like simultaneously to be happening. The reason I want that to be the case is not just because I want the emotions of the individual to become more attached, but because I, I dwell in philosophy a lot. I dwell in a lot of stoicism. I, and it's harder to convey thoughts like that if you are giving it to a person as a third individual but if they understand the motivation behind it if they feel they thought of it if they think it's their thoughts it's their opinions then they more readily uh accept these thoughts i guess they more readily accept the ideologies and are more willing to exercise them themselves as to yeah you're 100 right and that's psychology that's you know that's like a sales tactic you know if 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 they think it's their idea, then they're more willing to to, to buy it, you know, or yeah. to go along with whatever it is that you're selling. Well, what's your approach to it when you when you're writing a song? How do you send over the message you're trying to convey? What are the tricks you try to focus on the most when you're trying to sort of include the thought you're trying to convey? Because there is the song plays a certain way, and you you want to infuse your emotions onto how you play it, how fast something is, how emotional, how dragged out a note is. But when you're completing the project when you're including i don't know if you go as far as writing the words for your band but if you're writing actual words how do you 
tried to convey the message rather than have them fixate on the literal words you're writing. Because that's a big one I struggle with. Too many people fixate on the exact terminology you use rather than the in-between, the lines you're trying to convey. Yeah, so in the past, I've written um, lyrics for for my projects. Um, Like Sias, I I wrote like 90, 95% of the lyrics on that album. Um, And I don't know that I focus so much on um, how I say, or, or maybe maybe I focus on how I say something, but uh, I guess I focus more on is it going to be stuck in your head? Um, is it is it going to are, is the melody and the combination of words going to do something in your brain that makes you want to hear it again? That makes you want to sing along to it? That you know perhaps the lyric is is something totally different than what you took out of it. Um, or it has potential to have multiple meanings. And I get, I like that about music. Like when something has, has the potential to have multiple meanings and everybody takes something different out of it for their own personal thing, I guess that's what I hope to achieve with, with it. Um, but at the same time, in this particular project in Silent Mantra, um, I'm, I, I've only written a, a very small amount of the lyrics. Um, my singer Eric is a phenomenal writer. Um, and, with his approach, he's very personal about um, the way he writes, but it, it almost comes out as this philosophical exist, existential thing. And it makes you think and it makes you feel emotions. And, and uh, But at the same time, you feel like he's going through something, you know? So I have no complaints when it comes to his writing, you know? It's, 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 it's beautiful and I hope that people really resonate with it. Um, but in terms of the, the, the guitar work and, 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 uh, the songwriting process, I just want it to, I, I, I focus on serving the song. I don't think about the audience so much. Um, after once it's put together, that's when I start, you know, hearing, okay, are people going to gravitate towards this? Like this moment, like, are they going to, is the energy going to shift in a certain way? Are they going to want to sing along to this? You know, things like that. That's what I think about afterwards. But it's almost like an afterthought. Oh, that's fascinating. Because I think we have a, you and I have a very big division. Like our process begins equal, but it ends on a very different note. You begin uh, serving the work primarily. It's always about make the work what I want it to be. And I completely agree with that. And I think the, one of the biggest problems we have specifically with music, but it leaks into writing, particularly Stephen King. Like so many people like him, but he's just pumping out garbage after garbage and people love him, but he does it because let's serve the audience, not what I want to do. And that, that's a shitty hole to fall in where you're serving the audience first and you're never pleasing yourself. It shows through the work. And don't get me wrong, diehard fans are going to stick to you no matter what because they're there for that same repetitiveness. But uh, I like that you serve yourself first. You serve the project. You, you try to do something you're proud of primarily. And I definitely begin on that same note. I don't give a crap what's mainstream. I don't care what anybody is into. It's not about them. I'm here to express me. Where we differ greatly is when you've when you're either making it to the end or you're finishing your project, then you start thinking about how do I attach this to the individual? How do I make them magnet towards this the best they can or the hardest that they can? I 
swing the total opposite direction of you in this instance, in which I still don't give a fuck. My whole point was to convey a specific message and get you to comprehend it at the end of that, whether you like it or hate it is not my business. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, two, two different ways to do it. And, and neither one is, is, is right or wrong. And it's, it's awesome because they're two different creative processes. Um, and, and you also have to think about two things. One, the type of medium, even though everything is creative and it's art and whatever, but there, there are two types of mediums, right? One is, is, uh, is writing and the other is, is music. Um, and then the other that you have to think about is what is your end goal in your, in your pursuit of this thing, right? Do you, do you want a career, um, where, or I'm going to speak as a musician. Do you want a career where you, um, want to be like Metallica and have millions and millions of fans? Do you want to be a little bit more, um, like tool where everyone respects the hell out of you, but you can still walk down the street and be okay if you needed to. Um, and, but you're still making money. Um, and, and, and those thoughts, you do have to keep that in mind and not, not pretend that those things aren't there, um, when you're writing. Um, because if your goal is to, to do something successful with it, people, people's brains react to things a certain way and you have to, you know, and this is the entertainment business. Like, don't be stupid or naive and think that you're just going to be creative the entire time and you're just going to write, put out a song and then hope for the best and then get disappointed when no one listens to it or cares about it. Yeah, that's you have to manage your expectations and know what it is that you want out of it. And I think that's where a lot of um, artists either get confused or go wrong Um so that's why I think I attach that to the process towards towards the end because I want to serve the song first and foremost, not myself because I try to take the ego out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to serve the, the song first and foremost, and then I think about, all right, is the audience going to gravitate towards this? And if it's not, I know my goal is for for this to be authentic and for the audience to gravitate towards it. So now I have to adjust and and uh, and talk to the, the rest of the members and make sure they understand that. You know, do you know who? Uh... Buckethead is. Yes. Of course, the god of guitar. If you were to put <laughs> Buckethead on one end, and you were to put, let's say, somebody like Prince on the other end, that's that's that full spectrum of somebody who catered to the audience versus somebody who does it for them fucking selves and happens to get a few bucks here, but could be probably the richest guitarist in the world we all know would be Buckethead. But he doesn't give a fuck. He does it because he's married to his fucking guitar or something, and he goes home and fucks that thing. So, between those two different angles, where do you say you fall? Are you leaning more towards the Prince end? Are you leaning more towards the Buckethead side, where you're trying to please you, ultimately? And, like, if people love it, great, and you're thinking about them in the process, and you do hope that people like it, but it's not, like, the majority's point here... Or is it ultimately, like, I, I want to love what I do, but I'm going to begin that process and end that process by assuring myself that I'm going to survive off of it as well? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess I'll lean more toward the buckethead side, even though I am not fully on that side. Um, because I don't cater to, to the audience um, so much as being considerate to how they might perceive it in the end. Um, 
one thing I make sure during the creative process is that, that we're not, you know, masturbating here. We're not, um, you know, just serving ourselves and, and putting a bunch of notes in there just to make us feel happy because this is what we're capable of. Like, I hate that shit. Like something like, I don't, do you know who Dream Theater is? Uh, yes. So Dream Theater, phenomenal musicians, but they have moments where they're just fucking jerking off all over the track. And I'm just like, all right, but, you know, are you really connecting with people here? Are I totally, totally, like- totally feel where you're coming from. It's, uh, and I'll say, I've look, I've had this conversation a lot, exactly the point you just hit on, which is a lot of people end up, for the most part, <laughs> like, beating off onto the song. And not just a song, a bunch of things. So many people just beat off onto the thing. And the problem really ends up being that you can, you can tell. You can unquestionably tell that that's what's going on. And I've uh, put this into two categories. One is the musician that is audibly different. Audibly different. You can just tell there's something different. And you, it's, it's not yeah. even obvious what it is. But you hear them and they don't sound like everything else. And then yeah. there's the musician that you can put next to any other musician in that same genre and they become indistinguishable. Those people know what jerking off into a song is. They're doing the thing they know works and they're like, we can do it too. Oh yeah, we're so good. Exactly, yeah. And I, I never, ever, ever want to be that, you know? Um, the moment I become that, like, please tell me and, and put the dog down, you know? <laughs> I don't I don't ever want to be that. Um I I always, always want to serve the song and the song always will tell me um, what it needs to be. And and I'm very careful of are we doing too much here? Um, Do we need to dial it back a little bit and make sure that just the feeling is there? Um, Because at the end of the day, I think that's what people relate to, that that human human emotion about it, that that imperfect quality to things. Um, so I definitely don't want to be that, but, uh, but yeah, going back to your, your, your question about the, the Prince and, and Buckethead thing, I, I definitely, you know, I, I want to make a living, uh, from this, um, but not at the expense of having to be a cookie cutter, um, artist. Like I will never do that. Um, it, I like that. You rather struggle your way there and love every bit of it than feel like you're sacrificing yourself for money that and and still be miserable at the end of the day yeah exactly because you will be miserable at the end of the day like if a record label exec told me hey you have to sound more like so and so you know you know this sounds too out there and and i know for a fact that people will resonate with it i'll be like go fuck off like don't don't fucking tell me how to write my shit like you are good at whatever it is that you do in your business let me be good at whatever it is that i am good at in 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 my area expertise and you know keep it separate don't fucking tell me (laughs) no i fully understand that that's uh man that's a fucking tragedy though everybody especially now oh my god thank you for saying that you just blew my mind and i just thought about something do you realize that before, like when we were kids, um, we didn't all just have YouTube and we didn't have all these technological means to learn shit overnight, right? And when yeah. you had an instrument, you would go and you would teach yourself how to play it. You would just learn how to play a fucking instrument. 
And eventually yeah. throughout your life, you come across other people who play different instruments and you're like, let's do some shit. That makes perfect yeah. sense. When you're a child now, you you sit down and you say, man, I want to start a band, but you don't know how to play a fucking instrument. So what do you do? You learn overnight. You get pretty good at it. And you play exclusively with the people you started the band with. And then that creates this weird division we have right now where a musician leaves a band and that band falls apart, sounds different, doesn't work. In the past, musicians individually learned how to play. So you can replace with another musician relatively in your age range and they are skilled in a whole other way. That has nothing to do with you having learned how to play with a specific group of people and not being able to function in any other way. In any words, you grew up learning how to play. In this case, you grow up and you say, I want to start a band and then learn how to play. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's become popularized. And I mean, you know, it, it's definitely had its moments still in the past. Like, you know, um, you know, the 90s, still people were, were wanting to start bands and you know, you had the grunge era coming up and in the 80s, everyone was starting a band and getting signed left and right. Um, but yeah, I think the difference is that back then, if you wanted it, you had to really work for it, yes. right? Like you, you, you had to sit down, put the tape on, rewind it a bunch of times and use your ear in order to, to really um, learn that, that, that song or whatever it is that that guitar player was doing. And if you couldn't hear it well, you damn well rewind, you know, hit rewind a hundred times so that you could get it. Um, or like I remember when, uh, again, when Eminem first came out and I heard like the real Some Shady, I grabbed my cassette player and uh, I, I I hit record and I taped it off of, uh, uh, I think it was like Z100 or something. And, and then I sat down and I wrote down all the lyrics that I heard and I kept going, right? And somehow I kind of learned how to rap that way and how to use my ear a little bit better. But that was because I just, uh, I felt this love for music and for, I gravitated towards it. And so, yeah, now you have, you know, YouTube and, and, uh, uh, all these places where information is readily just like, here, take it here. Like, yeah, you know sort how of do a, something here, how to blah, blah, blah. It's oversaturated and, uh, people don't appreciate it as much. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, again, it goes back to the instant gratification thing, man. Fuck, Everybody bro, that's just our now. whole, like, that's the planner right now. I don't know what the fuck happened, dude. We we come from a time where people definitely worked for more, and now everybody could just have the thing and nobody... The problem is, if you work for it, you value it. If you just have it and you learn it, it's like, hey, I know how to play guitar. Great, sweet. But you had to struggle for it, so you're in love with your guitar. I learned yeah, how to play yeah. guitar right now. I learned with me and my homies. One of the homies left. It's like, I don't want to play guitar anymore. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, and it's this fucking entitlement, man. Like, you deserve this and you deserve... Or give me that, like fuck you no one deserving is not even a thing like you, you think the universe owes you something like it, it really really doesn't things just happen yeah dude we're pretty insignificant <sighs> in the bigger you know? scheme of things i think life isn't about uh it's not about chasing the money it's not about having all the things it's not about chasing love it's not about chasing happiness life is about chasing purpose once you have purpose all that other shit happens it happens by default. It happens effortlessly. But you need to find the purpose first. And that leads to all the other roads. 
Yeah, it, it, I, I can agree with you on that. But here's the scary thing that um, purpose can be misconstrued with career. Um, yes. And a lot of people are lost, you know, because of that, because they don't know what they, they want to do, what they're going to do. And they're searching in the wrong places and they're going through paths that they have no business going through all in, in pursuit of that or pursuit of happiness and, and purpose. But th they're they're really looking at it maybe from the wrong way. Um, at the end of the day, all you need to ask yourself is, are you serving others with what it is that you do? Um, and are, do you feel fulfilled? Not happy because happiness is, is a fleeting emotion, yes. right? Um, so like the pursuit of happiness is like kind of bullshit to me. Um, even though, yes, you should strive to have happy moments as many as possible, but that, that's, that's not balance either, you know? So the, look, that word is perfect there because the problem is people who chase sort of perpetual happiness don't realize that that's impossible. That's the most impossible thing. If you yeah. are perpetually happy, then that's just normal at that point. You're, you're back to normal because that became the norm. And if you're always miserable and always sad, then you're no longer miserable and sad. That's just normal. You need sort of the pendulum swinging from one side to the other to have good moments and bad moments. And uh, like you said, some people confuse purpose for career and they think I got the job. I'm happy. I'm done. I got I got the kids. Oh, no, that's another bad one. A bunch of people think having children is purpose. And no, you can have children, you can raise children, but that doesn't necessarily equal purpose. Don't get me wrong. For some people, it is. For some people, the career is. For some people, creating infinitely is. But that happens it to be... be generalized. Exactly. Exactly. It can't be generalized. Everybody has a purpose. What to you might be raising a child might look like a prison to somebody else. And it might look like the end of their lives and they are, they'll commit to it and they'll do it and they'll be miserable the whole process. Their purpose isn't served. What is their purpose? Their purpose could be to be on the move helping homeless people. And they feel complete gratification from it and they love every moment of it and they love every smile and they suffer every tragedy and that's their purpose. And both of those people are taking care of somebody. But it didn't manifest in the same way. It's because everybody's yeah, purpose yeah. shifts. And, you know, people people care too much about um, and I'm guilty of this, too, but people care too much about what others think and how they perceive them and how they think they perceive them. Um, and so they start basing off the, their decisions um, on that. And, you know, I, I've had my unhappy moments in, in my life um, or, or where I didn't feel fulfilled or um, or my, like myself because I was giving too much weight on other people's opinions um, and thinking of the what ifs, like what, if I do this, how are they going to react? How is my family going to, how is this person? And the moment you start removing that shit and, and you can say, you can say you don't give a fuck and let, let's just put it that way. Like stop giving a fuck what others think, but at the same time with balance, have moments where you give a fuck, you know, like there, there's this, this, this delicate thing that you have to, to maneuver, uh, in order to really you know, feel fulfilled and feel like yourself. Before I learned that lesson you just spoke about, I, I guess some context, I grew up completely ignored. 
And it wasn't bad. Like, I was particularly wealthy, I would say. But I suffered that sort of idea that your parent is more obsessed with the money than they are with a child. So here, I give you all the things. This is my love. And I grew up in that sort of thing. And I, I, I picked up the piano when I was three years old. And I, wow. I taught myself how to draw by the time I was like five. I was solving a Rubik's Cube regularly by the time I was like seven. I, I would do a bunch of things, all seeking sort of my parents' approval. And I would present them to my parents, specifically single parent, single mother. And, and I would present her with all the things I would do, but she never gave a fuck. So I would, oh, look yeah. what I learned how to do here. Look what I learned how to do there. Uh, look at this crazy detailed picture I learned how to do. I learned how to sketch myself, mom, look. And I, I never got the gratification <laughs> off that. All I received from her was, I don't care. Not literally, but she would like brush it aside. And as a child, you know, you absorb that. So I grew up with a very don't give a fuck what other people think mentality because that's what I'm taught, you know, don't give a fuck. To the point that I... I I guess I considered it my identity for a lot of my life. I considered not giving a shit my identity. And I'm a very critical thinker. I, I like cold, hard, calculatable information, whether theoretical or factual. If I can discuss the theories and the philosophies and convey the information in, in creative and fun ways, I always like that stuff. But always with the don't give a fuck. And that manifested in a very specific don't value people's emotions because that's subjective and I'm not experiencing that. And not that long ago, I started realizing people don't dislike me because I'm just too honest for them. People dislike me because I'm kind of a piece of shit. I'm an asshole. And I incorporated that sort of don't give a fuck into my personality. And the lack of balance was in being so blunt and being so direct, I missed the balance of the equation. I missed the middle ground where it's, yes, I think cold hard facts and being blunt and all that thing is right it's correct i'm not wrong in believing those things that's who i am but i'm also not right in disregarding other people disregarding how they might feel disregarding how they might think but it didn't register it never registered until recently and i will say it's because of a shit ton of acid trips so much acid oh my <laughs> god but a fuck ton of acid trips made me realize that wow, I'm kind of a piece of shit. It's me who's forcing people away. It's my fault. The lack of balance, me not caring, me not having empathy, me not considering other individuals made me sort of this cold, hard, calculated guy with seemingly zero fucking emotions. And it's been actually a real struggle to achieve the balance and be more considerate of people since I so heavily incorporated that into myself. So I completely resonate with the fact that balance is important. That's a beautiful thing that you were able to realize about yourself. Like that takes a lot of self-awareness and like you said, a lot of acid. A lot of acid. <laughs> oh my God. That, that's, that's, that's a really uh, um, higher level of, of thinking, which is, you know, I commend you for it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, you... You you perceive the not giving a fuck about people from a different perspective. It, it was a, a disconnect. Yes, for sure. Um, like it, it it was more. Um, it came from from um, having these negative emotions towards how people reacted towards you, um, or or not acknowledging your worth, your your talents, and 
you, and you took that and you manifested it into like, I don't give a fuck about you. Um, and, and that's and weird, right? Taking- as if they should care. That's the craziest part. As if anybody should care. Yeah. Yeah. Like again, entitlement, right? Like the ego is, is such a funny thing. Like if, if it goes unchecked for too long and if it goes without examination, like it can really ruin your life. Like it can really ruin a lot of relationships and, and, and what your purpose is. Right. Um, and yeah. And that's, that's something I definitely learned, man. Like I, I'm really still learning how to, how to tame the ego and separate myself from, from a lot of those things. Um, all while, um, being, trying to be true to who I am or who I am becoming, um, and how I live my life, my, the way I I see things. Um, so again, it's a very delicate thing, but I, I think the beginning of it is, is the acknowledgement, you know? Yeah. Realizing that, that, not that you're doing something wrong, but rather that you do have an ego, that there is an ego present. Yeah. And in doing so, just in being aware of the fact that there is an ego, you immediately start to realize where it's showing up, what it's influencing, how it's influencing it, where it's doing right, where it's doing wrong. Just, exactly. in, just in being aware. That's all you really need. Just in being aware that that thing is present is good enough to start the ball rolling. So now that you're aware, do you feel like you've uh, been taking steps to, um, I guess, correct that? Or oh yeah, or definitely to, to be able to connect. It's uh, unbelievably difficult, I'll say, but I do. I have made quite drastic changes. I've uh, started sort of when somebody gets really emotionally expressive. I have tried to sort of understand their point of view more. I don't necessarily interject my opinion all the time. Sometimes I actively have to tell myself, like, it's not even worth it. Let me just let them do what they're doing right now, feel how they're feeling. What's the best? Recently, on a a previous episode, maybe three or four episodes ago, or maybe longer, who the fuck knows, we were talking about (laughs) how somebody might come to you for advice. And... uh, some people get angry when somebody comes to you for advice and they don't take your advice. That's ego. That's ego right there. In the fact that they are coming to you for advice and you're immediately thinking, oh, they're going to take my advice. No, maybe they were just seeking perspective. Maybe they asked somebody else and they're asking you to see what the difference in context is. But you immediately think you asked me for advice and you're not taking it. I'm never giving you advice again. Who said you had your shit so together that you have the right answer on your first try? That that set of words embodied as an ideology is sort of what I practice. That's very interesting, man. So, hmm, how can I phrase this? So if someone comes to you for advice, right, and it's not the first time that they've come to you for advice, um, and you would consider yourself pretty self-aware, and they consistently don't take your advice, do you, can you say that, one, they've given you the power by simply coming to you. So they've given you the, they've placed you as the authority for a moment, which kind of feeds the ego, right? Definitely feeds the ego. But they've placed you as, as the authority for the moment because they're, they're seeking you for help. And if you see a pattern, like let's go back to patterns. If you see a pattern in their behavior that they're consistently doing the opposite of what they should be doing, like, I think there, there's a moment where, you know, you, you say, well, well, fuck off. Don't, don't ask me for advice anymore. <laughs> but I, I totally 
see where you're coming from too. It see, can be very ego based. That's an ego based response, exactly. Because if they come to you for advice, see right now what I would do in that very situation, right? Somebody comes to me and they 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 they're asking for advice. They haven't taken it before, and first. First and foremost, I will divide my answer into two parts. I will tell them what I think would be best for their emotions. This is how you feel would be right. This is what I think you're here hoping I tell you. But you also know who I am, and I'm going to go with the obvious solution, whatever makes most logical sense, not necessarily most emotional sense. So I'll provide both of those responses i'll be like this is what i think i would do in your situation as a person who's just going to follow regardless of somebody's emotions what i think would solve the problem and here's what i think you would like to do or what would satisfy the collective set of emotions then whether they take it or not is not something i should concern myself with because whoever told me I know what I'm talking about in the first place. Who said my shit is so together when at the end of the day, I go to somebody else for advice? No, it's true. But the, I, I think the difference is that you, you're you not interjecting your opinion um, forcefully, right? You've been asked to give, um, again, this thing, quote unquote, advice. So you, you're kind of automatically put in this position of, of power, um, where I would say opportunity, not power. What was that? I would say opportunity, not power. I would say I've been given the opportunity to offer perspective, not the power to make a choice for you. Okay. I can see that. I like that opportunity. All right. Next time somebody comes in and asks me for advice, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind. It's just, I guess for me, uh, uh, going for, again, for me going back to patterns, I I see patterns in people and I, I, I like read people pretty well and um, (laughs) I don't know if I get bothered by it when someone asks me for advice for the 10th time uh, knowing that they probably should take it and but they don't just because they're different people right there it's not that's what I would do what I'm telling you is what I would do you know like you said you you broke the the uh, your answer into two parts one, what you probably would do with what you're thinking of doing because that's just who you are and you want to take that road. And two, what you would probably do, you know? Yeah, what what I would say is that ultimately getting bothered at all is ego feeding in. It should, I would say so. your ultimate response should be along the lines of they came for the 10th time. They did ask you, uh, fair enough, tell them what you would do. Whether they take it or not, well, whatever. When they come the 11th time, you know whether they did or didn't. If you see the pattern, it sucks, but you can't help anybody who doesn't want to be helped. But I I, I, I don't know if it's it's a... hmm. I'm glad that we're talking about this, by the way. This is cool. Um, It's like, okay, like seeing a Rubik's Cube and someone turning it the wrong way 30 times when you've done the Rubik's Cube before... And you can tell them, hey, if you adjust this little thing here, you'll get to the to the answer, right? You'll get you'll solve it. But they're like, no, no, just okay. Tell me that again, but then I'm gonna completely ignore that and do something else. And then they'll get frustrated because they and and yes, it falls on them, right? It falls, like whatever happens ultimately, that's their decision. Yes, yes, it is. You go, you you're sort of you, here's what's happening. You're 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 feeling that they're not turning the rubik's cube the way you did 
It's sort of, how do you put it? There's an experiment, right? There's an experiment that is run to see whether a child is conscious or not. And what do they do to test whether the child is conscious? They show the, they show the parent see something. They hide it. And then they ask the child where they think the thing is hidden, where they think their parent thinks the thing is hidden. They see the mom looking and they aim at where it is. Then they run this experiment again. They have the mom turn around and look away. They have the mom turn around, look away. After they hit it in one cup, somebody comes in front of the child and moves it out of the cup and puts it under the other cup so only the child sees. Then they have the mom turn around again and they ask the child again, where do you think your mom thinks it's hidden? If the child aims where it actually is, the child believes that the parent has all the knowledge that the child has. They think they're sharing a conscious experience. They have not distinguished their identity as an individual yet. Thus, they still, uh, they're still not at a conscious enough level to determine that my information is my information and her information is her information. And because I have it doesn't necessarily mean she's going to land in the same place. When the child aims at the cup where it's not, because that's where the mom side be put, even if he knows it's in the other cup, the child has already determined having differentiation between themselves and the parent. The child has determined the parent doesn't have the knowledge I do. They still think it's over there. That same problem manifests in adults particularly a lot, where we've been given or taught ourselves or figured out the solution to a problem through repetition or through sheer experience. But you got to understand that your road through life led you to the answer. If you just give it to somebody else, kind of like a kid having YouTube who can just be satisfied but not respect the thing versus somebody who fought for it, the entire time and struggled for it, that individual worships, in the case of you, the guitar. You versus somebody who learned it on YouTube, you worship the guitar because you struggled for the guitar. Some kid who learned it in a week on YouTube will put it down just as quick. Your path in life led you through the answers and responses and the knowledge you have. So when you tell somebody who doesn't respect it, hey, kid, you can play the guitar like this and it'll be better. He doesn't give a shit. Even if he came to you and asked, hey, how do I play better? He still doesn't have the respect for that guitar until he's obligated to go through some experience that attaches the value that you've already oh, retained. So so I, I, I 100% agree with, with everything you're saying. I think the difference in my, I guess, my reaction to it, and maybe, maybe it is ego-based, and, and I think I'm okay with that, though, um, is that um, if a kid comes to me willingly, asks me for advice, because whatever, he's seen me and, and playing, and, and he wants to get to the level that I'm at, um, and I give it to him, and he, he doesn't follow it, then yeah, he has to live with, with those things. But if he comes back to me again, you know, over and over again, there's a point that I am allowed to say, fuck off. Like I'm giving you advice and you're not taking it. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? And yes, that could be from the ego, but I have the perfect right to say it. Okay. Why do you feel a pattern within it? But yeah, why do, here's the question. Why do you think his <laughs> pattern is up to you to solve or respond to? Assume every time he came, it's the first time oh, he showed oh, up. It's not. 
No, it's it's not. It's not. Um, so I can I can choose to not respond to him at all when he comes to advice for advice. And that's that's another. But you can also tie that into ego. Yeah. You look, say, no, the only not. thing I would say is that the one factor here that's affecting it is your awareness of it. If you didn't see the pattern, right? If you if the kid came to you and he asked you for advice and then you taught him and he didn't take it and you completely forgot that he ever showed up. You have the 51st date syndrome that at the end of that day, you don't remember. And then tomorrow he comes back for exactly the same lesson and you forget that just his face, just the fact that you taught him. All the rest of your knowledge keeps moving forward. Every time he comes, sure. you taught him for the first time, he's still making the choices. Nothing changed in your life. In the instance that you do know, the only thing that changes is the fact that you know. So why should your answer respond just because you know? Just teach. You're going to learn more by teaching him. No, not necessarily. Because, again, that develops a pattern. If you're conscious of, of a repetitive thing going on, then you are aware that the outcome is going to pretty much be predictable. So you have the choice at that point to whether participate or not participate. And... But if it goes the other way, like you said, if you if it's like a 50 first dates type of thing where you're never, you know, you're never going to remember that this happened, then no, it's not going to affect you the same way. But that's not I, I don't see it as a um, as a uh, manifestation so much of 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 this ego power trip as it is more of a pattern, really pa definitely pattern. But um, how do I do it? You know who Alan Watts is? I've heard the name. I, I, I'm not sure I, I know much about him, though. Okay. There is an example he gives about pattern, manifestation, and the identity that I find completely fascinating, where he explains that pattern equals identity simply because we believe there is one. And he used specifically music, actually, which was to say that you can hear a beep, right? You hear boop, done. That's that's one tone, nothing happened there. You could hear it twice in a row, boop, boop. It could happen 10 times in a row, and it's just some monotone, boop, 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 boop. But all you do is add a separate pitch in a repetitive interval, right? So every third beat, you get a different note, boop, 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 boop. Now you, you hear sort of a song kind of building. What's that? There's nothing there, but you're picturing something there because you want to picture something there. Because you want to believe that there's more than the sum of the parts. And as it, you can add a bunch of different things and they're just random sounds and you call it music. But at the end of the day, it's just random sounds if you took any one of them apart. It's just random sound. It okay. equals nothing. In the case of the kid, it's sort of the same idea. There might be a pattern. Maybe he's not even aware that that pattern exists. Maybe you're adding value to the pattern all by yourself. Maybe no, that's he's coming to that's, improve that's on a lesson. That's completely, completely plausible. Um, the the difference, and again, it could be attributed to ego, but the difference is that everyone has an an option on how they perceive and decide. And my option, or that, or my decision that I make is. If I see that you are coming to me over and over again with a very, very similar problem and you haven't figured it out the first five or six times, yet you've been giving the answer, I don't care. 
on the seventh time that you're coming to me for advice or that you didn't take it, I'm just okay, like, fair I'm enough. probably not going to give you advice. Then I'll ask a follow-up question. Why, sure. why not? Why, what motivates it? Why not? Why does the pattern, why would you respond like that to the pattern? Um, probably because, and this is very like simple, probably because it annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> probably because it annoyed me. Okay. Um, Follow up question. It, it, it's the, um, why yeah, would it annoy you? Um, like seeing, seeing something um how how can i what what's a good metaphor for this um all right for the sake of seeing that the wall is my wall right here is blue um and i tell you that it's blue and, and it's it's blue unless you're colorblind you have a defect right unless you have a defect you're most likely going to see blue and but if you're you're not if you refuse to accept that for whatever reason that's on you. I'm not going to keep telling you the fucking wall is blue. Like, you go on your business. Just don't keep asking me what color is this wall because I'm going to get annoyed. <laughs> but why does you know? it annoy you? The repetition of the wrong choice. Who says it's the wrong choice? Who told you one was the right choice? If they're consistently not getting the, re the desired outcome, if they constantly have to keep coming to you for advice on a very specific thing. Okay, then I got a question for you. Is what you perceive sure. to be the desired outcome, this, by the, way. the outcome that you suggested? Is your suggestion the desired outcome and them not taking what you perceive to be the right choice, aka the one you recommended? Is that what's bothering you? That you're like, I gave you the right answer. Nobody told you it's the right answer. They just asked you for advice. You came and you told them something. And they didn't take it. And they came again later. You gave them the same thing. But it's not the repetition. It's the fact that they didn't do the thing you said after you told them to do it. So let's say you're trying to learn how to kickflip, right? Right. And um, and you keep placing your 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 foot way too close to the heel edge. Um. And you're wondering why the board keeps doing more of an ollie motion or, or maybe it goes to like a, a forward flip or something like that. You keep wondering why that keeps happening. And you come to me and you, you've seen me kickflip a bunch of times before. Uh, you come to me, hey, how can I improve this? How can I, uh, how can I do, land this kickflip? What do I need to change here? And I look at your form and I'm like, hmm, your foot is probably way too close to the heel edge. Maybe you need to angle it a little bit this way, bring it back some. And you still continue to go put your foot on the heel edge and keep getting the same results. Chances are you keep asking me, I'm not going to tell you again. And I don't care if it's ego. I don't care what it is, but it's going to annoy me that you keep asking me yet not taking the advice that clearly is probably going to get you one step closer to the desired outcome that you're looking for. Okay. What if they did take your advice? They put their foot closer to the kick position and then they don't get a kick flip, but they came to you and it, they did it. It didn't work. What, what's your, did they, get, did they get closer to the outcome? Let's say they didn't. They didn't even get closer. They, they did exactly what you said, and they didn't even get closer. Then I, then I was wrong about my advice. And you got no problem with that. You're definitely or, fine or, with that. Or, no, I have no problem with that. Um, my, my, the issue doesn't come from um, 
me giving what, what my opinion of, 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 of what you should do is if, if you come to me for advice on something that probably or that I've done before or have gone through before and I've found that that solution, even though it maybe it just works for me because things can be so subjective. It, it really, really depends on what the thing is. Right. Yeah, no, I fully agree. But. This is a very specific kind of that I totally agree. This is a very specific kind of scenario we're playing out. Exactly, exactly. Because, uh, you know, there's so much gray area. However, like in the kickflip scenario, like chances are I'm going to give you advice that is going to get you closer to it. You may not land it, but it's going to be a hell of a lot better than you keep putting your foot in the heel flip position. Okay. And I guess that that's that's the problem I see. Like. Seeing stubbornness in someone else or, or, or the, uh, the lack of listening. Like, I hate when people are unable to listen. That bothers me. When Why? they like to talk more than they like to listen. Why? Oh, my God. You know, I totally love when people do that. I get super fascinated with them. My, my immediate go-to is to, to – and they usually get pissed. I don't know why. Where I begin to ask – what promotes the their sort of stabilized opinion or belief in whatever thing they are? I love to know things. And I'll just keep yeah. asking, like, yo, no, definitely, you're entitled to your belief, but why do you believe it? And why this? And why not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we're similar in that and where I think we both like to ask a lot of questions. Um, and I'm definitely I consider myself more a listener than than I than I like. I, I don't like to speak much. I'm very quiet around people. Yeah. Um, but when when the time comes for someone to express themselves um and i see that you're unable to listen and you just want to interject your opinion and you don't you you gave zero fucks about what that person just said that that bothers me that bothers you i would approach the same situation so differently yeah if i had a person i I would do two things here if i had a person come in same thing kickflip right uh, which I definitely stole from you at like 13. Definitely 100%. I saw you do like a million kick flips and I'm like, I'm going to do what he's doing. But we all stole it from Rodney Mullen. Yeah, dude, we all stole it from somebody, right? Um, I would, the person comes to me and they ask, hey, can you teach me? I would probably, you know, put your foot closer to the edge, pop, uh, focus less on the pop, more on the flick, those kind of things, right? On the second or third time, I wouldn't uh, be bothered. I would change my answer. I would probably stand on the board and I'll tell them, look at how I'm standing on it. Look at how I'm about to do it. And whatever you interpret I'm doing, just try to imitate it. Whatever you think is happening, try to replicate it however you feel would recreate all my motions. I would probably in this exact moment in time, maybe even record myself doing it and be like, look at what I did. And then imitate it. For sure. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. But what we were talking about are kind of different things uh, when it comes to people uh, conversing rather than, than the whole kickflip uh, advice thing. Yeah. That's because, yeah, I 100% agree. You would because people learn differently. So you have to if, if you're teaching, you have to figure out how they learn and adjust to get closer to that so that they can perceive it and and take it in like i've taught i taught guitar for about 11 or 12 years so i had to learn that about students everyone is different how they learn is different um so i definitely understand that but when it when it comes to 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 conversation 
um, that's uh, that's where I was making that that example about um, it's a pet peeve of mine when someone is does not know how to listen. They just want to talk and and just interject and 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 spew out their opinion like i've learned one interesting thing about that which is a person who is silent a person who's quiet a person who listens you me people like us who who like to listen and people who like to share their opinions a lot the advantage is we know twice as much as they do at any given one moment because we know what we know that they haven't heard or let us share and we know what they know that they've so willingly given us I love those moments the most because I love understanding. I love understanding. And it doesn't matter what the case might be, uh, specifically with like religious conversations. Some people are so engraved in yeah. their religion. It's like, I don't get it, but I would love to. And I don't need, I don't yeah. need to offer what I believe. Definitely. Just why this or why that? Or why do you think this thing about that thing? And I would just let them keep running on and running on because the more I know, the happier I am. You know, it could lead to some form of connection. It could lead to understanding something in a way I didn't before. But not only that, in the case of somebody not taking advice, I think I would fall into the same kind of area. And if it happens enough times by the seventh, by the eighth time, I think I would still show them. But I would also follow up with like, look, do it like this. But also, why don't you ta- why, why didn't you take it the previous time? I, I would be very curious as to what the response would be to why haven't they taken it but keep returning. Like, I'll gladly give it to you again, but why are you here again? Like, I gave it to you before. Why didn't you take it that time? Oh, but blah, blah, blah. Okay, the next time comes through. Okay, that was your excuse the previous one. Why didn't you take it this time? And I, I feel like a full picture would start to form if I had six, seven different answers. Because if they're all lies, there's some depth of truth somewhere in all of them that's the common thread. I feel like I would still learn. That's that's awesome, but your purpose would be different than mine, and it that that's cool because you want to understand more. You want to keep going, like you want to kind of keep prodding. Like, all right, you didn't get it the first six, seven times. All right, why didn't you take it? Okay, next time, mm, how that work out for you? Okay, you didn't take it this. How you keep going? I do, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't care to, <laughs> it de- but but it, it really depends on the person and the situation. Like I'm talking really simply like something that I would perceive as, as like a tedious type of thing that would annoy me. Um, but it, it, it really depends. Like this is very situational for me. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, no, this is definitely because it doesn't apply in yeah, a lot of situations, have a lot of patience, but you know, in a lot what of situations, that? what we're talking about doesn't even apply because, uh, it, this is this is we're talking about probably the most stubborn, most ignorant human being in the world who keeps repeating the same exact pattern beyond <laughs> reasonable measures. Like realistically, by the second time, they either don't come back or you're you find out why it is that it didn't work or why they didn't take it. So it's a situation that's almost impossible that we're yeah, discussing. It's highly exactly. and it takes a lot for me to 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 get to that point. Like I, I usually have a, a good amount of patience with people. So yeah, we're talking about like extremes. Like at that point, I, I just don't give a fuck. Like just move on. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. you have uh, enough patience, but there's definitely a threshold. For sure. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yes. Yeah. I would say that I have infinite patience or a lack of impatience. 
I think I'm always fascinated, and I, I think that's a driving force. I I love that, but I will say you do have the same thing. It just manifests differently. We all have because I I believe yeah all humans are equal but different. So what I might have for sheer plain information and general like trivial crap, you probably apply to your guitar. You probably have infinite patience for yourself. Like you're trying to do something on the guitar and it doesn't work out. And for whatever reason, you put your hand in this position, you try to a nifty three chord trick hit 20 things in like the matter of a second, try to move through it. Sounds real cool. <laughs> drag your hand across to have and you always do it. And it always comes out the same way. And you know what you're doing wrong. But that didn't stop you from doing it the second time. And you tell yourself actively, look, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what he's doing. I'm going to do it again. And then it comes out the same way. And you're like, why the hell did I do that again? You'll sit there and do that 50 times and not quit. It's the same thing. You're just, it's it's persistent. It's tedious. It's nagging at you. It's probably making you miserable as fuck. But you're pushing through because it's that same lack of impatience that I have. And you're applying it to something different. It's different, but it's equal. You know, I, ju- I just made a, I just made a, uh, you just made me think about something. Okay. Going back to the point of the advice thing. Um, okay. I can see the ego thing from the perspective that, um, because maybe I'm not gaining, uh, something from it or I'm not, I'm not the one going through the, the ringer, the, the, you know, going through the steps, through the motions and correcting myself because I'm not the one doing that and I'm, I'm instead giving you the answer and you're the one doing that maybe that's what's feeding my impatience because like you said on, on a guitar i can do the same thing 10 times knowing that i have to do something differently but i'm still going to i need the end result and i'm actively working towards the end result and it's going to satisfy me and but that's not to say that someone is giving me that answer. I'm actively seeking that. I'm gaining something from from it. So from an ego perspective, I can see that because I'm not gaining from it, that could feed or be partial to the impatience that I'm feeling. Yeah. You feel detached, thus you don't care because it's not your struggle. After a certain threshold, yes, exactly. Okay, I can definitely see that. But I think we all, it's its not, uh, there's nothing wrong in that. It's definitely that exactly, we yeah. all have that same thing manifesting somewhere else. That's uh, your lack of patience in never seeing results, which is why you'd struggle in the first place for the results, but you don't see it in somebody else, is the same thing as me attaching the not give a fuck aspect into part of my personality. I didn't see the results and thus it doesn't matter. And because that's my understanding of how the world works, I hash it out the same way. People don't give a fuck. And when somebody comes to me with emotions, just the way I went to somebody with emotions, it shouldn't matter. It never matters. And that's because we're stuck, I guess, in a weird, I guess it is ultimately ego. We're stuck in a mind trap ultimately. It's just little hurdles of ourselves that we eventually have to get over. Because in neither situation, it's our fault. In neither situations are we doing something wrong. But we're definitely not doing something right. Well, I I think, you know, ego is not all bad. Um, There are purposes for the ego. No, definitely, definitely. Um, Otherwise, why would it even exist within us, right? Um, But like anything... 
too much of something is bad, right? Yes. Because that creates yes. imbalance. And so I think that's where um, that self-awareness comes in and knowing when are you exercising the ego too much? When are you giving too much of something and it's causing uh, dissonance within yourself, within uh, relationships to other people, so on and so forth? Yeah, we're 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 definitely uh, that's so good. See, that goes back to balance. So everything, everything in the world, in the world, in the universe, reality, in our conscious minds, in our bodies, um, what we eat, how we exercise, how we perform, uh, all those things all fall down to balance. It's always about balance. Existence in general is about don't have too much of anything, don't have too little of anything. You eat too mm-hmm. much of anything, you're going to get diabetes, or you're going to get overweight, or you're going to get, but you too little, you're going to yeah. go underweight, you're going to get fucking cancer, or whatever the fuck. You don't exercise enough, your body's going to atrophy. You exercise too much, your body might strain. Um, you play too often and don't give yourself too many breaks, you lose the flavor for it. You play for too little, you end up not valuing it anymore. You play too consistently and you don't offer yourself to the music often enough it becomes a job you offer too much of yourself to the music and you don't structure it enough it just becomes a game this everything is a very yeah, we're, we're, we're slaves to the goldilock effect you know that's that's what we're really slaves to right? yeah it's hell yeah that just right moment that right thing that right amount of whatever yeah we're all looking for that so, lukewarm porridge <laughs> so I wanted to ask you something because I'm curious what your um, what your viewpoint is on on faith and uh, God. Um, well, be more specific. I, I knew you were going to ask that too. Huh? Um, <laughs> what is the pur- what is the purpose of believing in something like a God, like a deity? The like purpose a... of believing, um, if you believe in a deity like Jehovah, if you believe in something like a Brahma, Muhammad, uh, any of these uh, Jesus equivalents, any of these Jehovah's equivalents, um, you're looking for answers. It's uh, Not all of us are satisfied with the existential crisis of everything being uncertain. And it probably is, but it's probably not. If it's uh, if your question is more aimed to do I believe there is a God, or, and if that's the case, what do I think that would be? My answer would be more along the lines of both yes and no, and it would be everything and nothing. If you say God, I ask Jehovah, and you say no, I'm talking about Brahma. Then I'm like, okay, so tell me what the difference between the two are. Like, oh, this and that. Okay, so you're talking about something that created everything. If you say God, I can equally ask Big Bang, because we're talking about something that made everything, right? So mm-hmm. the Big Bang was a singular point with containing all the matter of the universe, blew up and created all the matter. We're part of that. We feel we have individual perspective. Okay, so that's God. God was a singular being existing. And he was all everything and created everything with individual perspectives. Here I am thinking I am. I feel like that's not a different story by any means. If we're talking global consciousness, there's a single conscious mind and it's projecting uh, different perspectives and the ability that there are different beings and here I am thinking I am who I am. That does not sound like a different story to me. It sounds like everybody's talking about the same things and using different language to describe them and then attacking each other because we're not using the same words to discuss the same things. Dude, I think you need to take that soundbite and fucking (laughs) promote that shit. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Yeah, man. 
Fuck yeah. What that's about great. you? What's your take on I it? I love exactly how you that's that's my exact take on it, man. That's exactly how I feel on it. Um I it's funny, I had a conversation with um uh this marketer because I, I work I work as a videographer and editor for um for this company called getclients.com. Um and so I get to meet a lot of interesting people, uh, successful people. And so this guy comes in and he's very much um, into, um, you know, he, he believes in Jesus and um, Christianity and, and he's very much into that. And we start talking about, um, you know, same same kind of, of thing, like what is the purpose of faith and, and things like that. And he's, he's telling me his side of things and it's just... I, I find it very interesting to talk about these things with, with people. I always try to get their perspective and maybe not try to get them to, cause I, I don't like enforcing my, my opinion. Um, but I want to come to the understanding that I think we're all in pursuit of the same thing and that the purpose of faith is really, uh, understanding. Um, and perhaps, trying to hold something else accountable for the things that happen to us um, or giving something else um, to have leverage to better our circumstances. Um, so I, I just find these, these topics interesting and talking to people about. What I'll say specifically about that is that what you just claimed is lit in, in Christianity specifically, I would say that's the devil. Because how do I put it? If we do something bad, right? We're, we're talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking consciousness, ego. We're talking uh, religion, devil, right? So mm-hmm. I am. I'm. A, I'm of belief. Yes, for sure. I'm of belief that the devil is not bad. That ego is not bad. It's like you said. The opposite end it's the balance you need the good. You need the bad. That's the only way you know which one is which. Otherwise, it's just neutral. And in the case exactly. of specifically Christians, who, as we know, are the warmongers of the world, um, <laughs> they use specifically the devil as, oh, it, he, he, he drove it, so it's his fault. We did something bad. I was in control of the devil, but now I can be forgiven, and it's totally fine, because I didn't do it. That's the same as ego. It's the same thing. We're just looking for something to blame, to not take charge for the thing, as we would with God and say, if I don't have the power to do it, at least he will give me the strength and then I can do it. It's a self-hypnosis. That's ultimately what it is. Exactly. And, and, and that's that's my biggest problem with um, a lot of religion and, and yeah, specifically Christianity um, is is the lack of accountability one um, to the a lot of people without realizing it um, only believe or are only in the religion because of fear of consequence that there is a hell that they are going to this eternal damned place where they will forever burn. And that is the only reason that they are trying to be better people um, or, or probably the fuel behind it. Um, and, and just I have a, a really big problem with that. Um, but, but one thing that I will say that I learned from this particular person um, was he, he was explaining to me why Jesus um, 
or why God sent Jesus to earth, right? Um, because he was saying that God made a rule for himself, basically, that he cannot interact with sin, right? He cannot, and there, and we are, we are a part of sin because of the whole Adam and Eve thing and all that, whatever good stuff. And so he sent God so that we can still interact with, or he sent Jesus so that we can still interact with God, but be forgiven for our sins. And so that Jesus was that medium so that this can occur. And okay, I was like, all right, I didn't, I've never looked at it that way. That's cool. That's cool. But you know, why is God self-imposing these rules that he can't be around sin? Isn't God God and can do whatever the hell he wants to do? Why does he choose to stay away from us and not interact or any of that stuff? And he really couldn't give me that answer. So I just think like, don't these people think of all the plot holes there are? Bro, I was, that was just, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about one that you addressed pretty much. And it's like, how can God not interact with sin? You're telling me something else came to exist without God's influence first? So God wasn't alone? Exactly. Exactly. Like, if if God is all-powerful and created everything and he is the big, you know, whatever. Like, he made sin. There's no um, doubt about Kahuna, it. He, yeah, like, who else is above him? Who's giving him these rules? Like, why is he, like, just chilling up there? Like, nah, like, nah, I can't be around sin. Yeah. Well, like, I, I will no, solve the problem for you, though. I definitely have thought about this enough to think I have come up with the reasonable solution that the Christians themselves wouldn't take, but I will say makes perfect sense to me. I think Jehovah is not all-powerful. I think he is not a full-fledged omnipresent, omniscient, all everything God. I think he's a demigod. I think there is something higher up than him. And there's a couple of pieces of evidence that point to this using the Bible specifically. If you look at one of the commandments is you won't have any other gods above me. Uh, people interpret that as a uh, symbolistic gods or worshiping, but like, why would God consider symbolism a threat by any means? Are there other gods? You think they can worship a different God. Are there other gods to worship? That's first and foremost. The second is at the end of the seven days, God had to rest. You're an all-powerful being. Why is why are you draining at any given moment? I, I like that. The other one is <laughs> um, if that, he that is all-knowing, why did he not know that Lucifer would behave the way he did? And if you did, then you made him to behave that way. That's a giant hole that can't be resolved. He didn't know what was going to happen. And he also has no idea how to solve the problem. Uh, a good example of that would be, at some point, he tried to solve it by, uh, what was it? Lucifer became a snake, and he removed the legs of all the snakes as punishment. That sounds like he didn't know which snake was Lucifer, and he punished them all so he, he would catch whichever one was Lucifer in the mix. He has no knowledge of everything that could be. He just found a general solution for a problem, and it worked because it caught everything, including whichever one was Lucifer. P pretty much, and that that that's spot on. And I, I, it's because at the root of this, this is all a story conjured up by the human mind in, in an attempt to explain why we are here, what our purpose is, in order to to define things. And so you have all these plot holes and all these humanistic uh, qualities to to this God and to this story. And like that, that's exactly why it doesn't make sense. 
and over the years, of, of course, it's been changed and passed down and, and yes. you know, misinterpreted the, the classic, you know, uh, phone cup thing or, or but, uh, but I'll say I uh, both agree and disagree. It's definitely man-made and it's definitely a, a twist on something. But I won't say that necessarily God isn't real. I won't say God is real either, but he, he isn't not real. He's the explanation that we gave a name to and rolled with. But we have 800 million different variations and they're all right. If we are spiritual and we assume the consciousness is the all, that's no different than there being an omniscient God. That's no different than the Big Bang having existed. That's no different than the construct of reality just manifesting illusions. There's always in all of those stories and every possible representation a singular something that has multiple perspectives that are ultimately the bigger thing's reflection. God made us in his image. God is inside all of us. We are all made of stardust. We are all just a perspective of consciousness. It's all the same thing. So the stories told, the biblical interpretation of God, of Jehovah, of Muhammad, of Brahma, of freaking Buddha, fuck it, all of them, all of it above, the, the, we could even say the Big Bang itself is uh, gospel, it's text, scientists follow that like it's their their pride and joy, they, they worship it, it's a scientific method, states this and that, but did you go all the way to the Big Bang to know? No, you're relying on the faith of your mathematics, of the words on papers and the equations you made. Those equations are no different than the scripture that somebody else made, it's still man-made, ultimately. Whatever those are an incorrect representation of is real. Whatever they are so incorrectly the, representing. What happened? Do you think the pursuit of, of, of God is a um, – is, is that even something worth doing? What is the purpose of it, right? Do you think it's an attempt to keep defining? It's an ego thing? Like, Because I personally have no – I find or I have yet to find a purpose in wanting to know I will say <laughs> it's individual. I will say it's individual and subjective. For, let's say, a Mormon, right? You could be a Mormon because you are following God. You believe, hey, I'm going to burn in hell if I don't do this. But you could also be a Mormon because the Mormons have extreme family values. They have very extreme family values. We got family time once a day. We do certain things a certain way. And you want to be a family person. And the pursuit of this god is because he represents something that you want to represent he represents something you want to follow if it's not that i'm gonna burn in hell so i'm scared but rather there's a bunch of don't steal there's don't lie there's a be kind to one another you could be pursuing this god for the chase Morality. of good yes you could be chasing it for the, the the follow of the good you could be again terrified of the uncertainties of the universe and def and definitely 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 be chasing answers as well that's definitely an option as well but i feel like nobody follows god for the same reason and i'll also say that in this case not creationism not the big bang not jehovah swinging his hand and creating humans but god faith trust in something higher you do have that you apply it somewhere else, and you call that music. God is purpose. God is the thing you follow that makes you a good person, that you go to when you're sad. Somebody might say God and 
get on their knees and pray when they're sad. You might say guitar and go play in your room by yourself when you're sad. You both solve the problem the same way. You went to the thing you had faith was going to solve the problem. And that was just so faith. Faith is a thing. Faith is a thing. A lot of people, yeah, if we say God, we're talking creationism. Creationism. Yeah. If you say faith, that's that's faith is a thing. so much more broad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, man. Yeah, that's that's something I've been I've been thinking about about faith in particular, not so much the belief in something, but the just the fundamental principle of faith and having a need for it. Why and yeah. Oh yeah, so no, we all have faith. There's un, no great. doubt about it. You, we all have faith in something. There's it's impossible to exist without it. And mm-hmm. the pursuit of that is purpose. The pursuit of our faith is purpose. Whatever that might look like, whatever form that might take, you might have faith that being a parent is your purpose. You might have faith that being a musician is your purpose. Whether or not you did it for money or you did it for the self-satisfaction, you did it to create something you'd be happy for, the faith was in the music. And that's my faith, man. (laughs) That's definitely my faith. Yeah, dude, we all got a faith. Something tells me, man, for sure, for sure. And uh, any projects you want people to follow you doing anywhere you're going to be, any kind of thing? You you don't play clubs or anything of that nature that people can go stalk you at? So right now we are uh, in the process of writing for our debut EP. We're going to go in August to record it. Um, we haven't announced a show yet. We're going to do a show in July, though. Um, and that's going to be in uh, Newport Ritchie, which is down here in Florida. Um, but other than that, we've still we're still developing and working towards. Um, Perfect, dude. You know, as soon as you have anything, that. feel free to come on and have a discussion. Plug it. Talk to the people. I like this a lot, dude. Didn't know the depth existed, oh, yeah, bro. This has been awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you um, inviting me on here into this platform, and and this is this is awesome. It, number one, it's been great catching up with you, man. I miss the days of us skating. Wear it up, like dude. you were like such a great skater and like so creative and doing night flips and shit like that i i would never do um or could never do i should say um so it's, it's been cool to catch up and see what you've been up to as well man for sure man i love catching up it's definitely a, a great to see specifically that you're still moving forward doing things that i love that's definitely why i why i, why I had to bring you on dude i love speaking with creative minds and you've always been sort of a force moving forward nothing has ever been in your way you don't stop for any reason you don't stop for any person you're always doing you and i love that about you for sure you you're always in a creative mindset improving yourself through your faith I appreciate that, man. N- nice tie-in at the end there. Like <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let people know where they can find you. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. If you want to follow me personally on my like IG or something, you can go Enigma underscore Cruise. Um, but more than that, follow uh, the band that I'm currently in, which is called Silent Mantra. On IG, it's uh, you can just put Silent Mantra. On Facebook, it's uh, Silent Mantra Band. Okay, perfect. All right, dude. Thank you so much for being on here. Fuck yeah, man. Thank you so much again, man. Take care. Same to you, dude. Definitely. Thank you for being on, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. Peace. Have a good one, man. Oh, right. Well, wasn't that fascinating? That was... It was astounding, was it not? Yeah, I told you. That was that was fucking great, dude. Great conversation, great conversation. We we definitely had catching up to do. 
it's been a while since I got to speak to him. Uh, we, we stay in touch here and there. You know, we stay in contact from time to time to just have a brief conversation. But we're always, always doing something. So it's hard to just kind of have a sit down. And it's good that through this medium specifically, the point is almost to just have a conversation, to catch up, to just throw thoughts around. Yeah. I'm glad that he had time to do this. Yes, yes. He always stays so busy. I'm glad he definitely had a moment to to break away, a moment to kind of just let me pick his mind for a bit. And he picked your minds for a bit. Yeah, I actually didn't expect that. Not many people uh, flip it on me and start asking questions in my direction, but he definitely aimed it in that direction and got a couple of answers himself out of me, which I find completely fascinating. And, uh... Specifically, at the very end there, when we started talking about uh, faith and religion and how the ego has so much to do with just what we do in life. Is the ego a problem? The ego is not a problem. Amount is a problem. Quantity. Too much of anything is an issue. But it's great to have an ego. But you got to have your ego in check. The ego can't drive the car. An ego keeps you attached. An ego keeps you in the third dimensional world. An ego makes you want things. If you're completely detached and you know everything is completely meaningless, then what will you do? Nothing. You need to craft your ego. You need to mold your ego. You need to teach your ego so how to do things. This is another example of balance. Yes, it's muscle. The ego is a muscle. Mm. It's a mental muscle. It's a personality muscle. It's a spiritual muscle. The ego is a part of all of us and it's a definite thing we do need the problem is when you turn your ego into the scapegoat like how specifically with uh religion specifically uh people who use the devil or the the devil equivalent the bad thing it made us do the bad thing it's you avoiding responsibility i'm incapable of bad that's your ego talking i'm incapable of bad something made me do it Something made me do what? You're not taking responsibility. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a, those things were definitely manifested by people whose egos are, are stronger than their willpower. And they are unwilling to take charge for their actions and unwilling to sort of accept the defeat that comes through life. We, we, we win some, we lose some. Everybody wants to keep winning. So you got to make up excuses so you can keep winning forever. Because everyone wants... Yeah, everyone wants to win. Yeah, it's all about winning. It's all about... Yes, instant gratification. That was another big topic in here. Instant gratification is a giant issue that we do face. Everybody wants to be satisfied. Nobody wants to struggle. Hmm. Yeah, but is religion giving us somehow instant gratification or having the answer makes us not want to search for the answer sort of uh sort of yeah we feel we have the answer so we just do whatever things they they hand it to us whatever things they told us straight out that's what we think is the right answer and it's not it can't be no yeah. the right answer has to be different for everybody there can't be one broad general right answer for everybody these are all different yes the Why same we, all... we want to be like borgs we want to treat everyone the same and be treated all the same but none of us wants to be treated the same truly no normality makes us feel comfortable that's really where it is normality makes us feel incredibly comfortable and uh we don't know how to how to deal with that we don't know how to cope with that ultimately ultimately that was definitely one of my favorite conversations i hope you guys did enjoy that it was uh 100 i i love speaking with creators we all have different takes on what we do. We all have different methods 
to to achieve the same things. We all have different things to achieve. We have th- some of us have come across situations the others haven't imagined, and there's, it's not like he knows more than I do. I just know a different set of rules than he does, and we're all in that same boat. It's very strange how similar and different it all is. Yes, it's like nobody's ahead of the game. Everybody's just at a different stage of it. Not even stage. Everybody just has the same number of things collected, a different number, a different, what, how to put it, the same number of things, different set of things. There you go. So you just got to learn when to leave some things and when to take some things. Like some rapper beginning. His toolbox has 10 tricks. Eminem's toolbox has 10 tricks. Which 10 tricks they are make the whole difference. Hmm. You see? His toolbox, Eminem's toolbox, has a trick of, has a, has a pack of versatile tools. Those same tools can work a million different ways, and they can do a million different things, but it's just 10 tools. So we just have to learn how to we have use to le- our tools. Yes. Yes. We don't have more tools. We just learned how to use those tools, and our tools just happen to be different. Sometimes you need a hammer, but sometimes you don't. Why do you have a hammer with you? That's one less space for something else that could have gone there. You can beat something with a hammer. You can pull something out with a hammer. But sometimes you need something that a screwdriver. Sometimes you need a screwdriver and you come across a nail. Well, flip the screwdriver around and hit that nail with the other end of the screwdriver. You manage to have the same effect and you never needed the hammer. Mm. Understanding that is sort of the whole process of creation. When you're making something, you, you got to understand what you have, how you can use it, how to be the most resourceful with the limited space you have, with the limited tools you have. We're always learning. We're always learning. It's weird. And w- like we discussed in this episode, when you when you look back, you always hate what you finished, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> but you look forward and you always love where you're going and what you're doing. And it's because you learned something in that time. And you can look back and see that it wasn't applied because you just learned it. Is learning the most important part? I think learning is the most important part because ultimately you're you're going to leave whatever you made behind and you're just going to forget about it and make something new. So whatever you learned is what you're trying to put into this. Learning is the real main part. We're all just trying to learn. We're all just trying to learn. Whether we're aware that that's what we're trying to do or not, that's the whole thing. It seems like some people don't want to learn. They just want the answer. They think they don't want to learn. They want the answer. They think they want the answer. That's really what's going on. They think they want the answer. They don't really want the answer. They want the gratification and the lesson learned can lead there. They think the answer will give them that gratification. The answer is the instant gratification. The lesson learned is the repeated gratification. Okay. Yes. One of them is harder than the other to get Mm -hmm. to, though. But it's much worth it. It's Yeah, it's a lot more worth it when you understand why the thing was solved, not just have it solved. You don't want, you know, show your work. That's the one thing we all hate about math class, show your fucking work. But it's like, if you don't know how you got there, if somebody came and wrote it on your piece of paper, and you're like, hey, look, I did it, versus you can show them how you got there. Two very different things. Show your work is not just have the right answer. Show your work isn't just have the formula. Show your work is understand and learn how to communicate what you understood like learning what teaching what you learned teaching what you learned if you can actually that's a that's a real principle in in teaching and in general 
definitely, most definitely creating, which is you know something best when you can teach it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's the peak of you understanding what you're doing. When you can teach somebody else how to do it, you understand it. If you can't teach somebody else how to do it, you don't understand it. So that's why these teachers want us to do that? So annoying. I hate being picked on to answer questions, even if I know the answer. I always hated that too. And I would never solve it their way. I would always 100% find a different solution. But I, you know, now, now that I'm t- talking about this, I never realized that I was basically hurting their ego in doing it because it feels to them like they didn't teach it to me if I gave them a different route. Oh, and hmm, so are they like jealous of this unknown way you figured it out? I don't know. This other thing. No, because I could even explain it to them and maybe they don't get how I did it. That's going to piss them off more. And that's going to piss them off because they thought they knew it and then this kid suddenly knew more. Or not knew more, but maybe knew the same thing a different way. They thought they were teaching me, but they didn't. I did it a different way. So maybe it is that their ego got took a hit. Their ego takes a hit when they're not the reason I know the thing. They wanted the credit for it, but I want to show your work. Nah, I did it this way. Wait, but that's not the way I taught you. Yeah, you didn't teach me anything. That's ultimately what they huh? see. Like, you didn't teach me anything. I oh, know it, and it wasn't you. you anything? They weren't teaching me anything I didn't already know. But here's the thing. I was that kid who would go home, learn the entire year's curriculum, and then just be ahead so that I could miss as much school as I fucking wanted, you know? <laughs> I would not even miss school because I wasn't, like, not being in school, but I would be, like... You were in mm. class? Yeah, I wasn't in class. I was fucking everywhere else. I, I was in everybody else's class. Learning more things? Yeah, pretty much. I was in everybody else's class taking their things. Not only that, I would be testing out of classes periodically. Just as soon as I know I can take that test and pass it, I would. And then I wouldn't have that class anymore. Just to jump into another class and do the same thing over and over. Well, he really loved to learn. I love learning, man. I really do. I'm definitely a nerd in that aspect. I love information. I love learning and I love teaching information. Or how to learn. I don't even care about the information part. I love teaching how to learn. I love that. I didn't know that when I was younger. I thought the information was my favorite part. No, learning how to learn was my favorite part. And teaching others? Teaching others how to learn. I don't care what information you learn, so long as you learn how to learn. Mm. So long as you can go and be like, I'm going to learn this thing. Because I know how. That's all I care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You can choose to do whatever you want with the tools that let you learn. I don't care what they are. I don't care what you choose to do with that. So long as you understand that you can learn whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want, however the fuck you want. It's just a matter of learning how to learn. Yeah. Anyways, that was that's how deep that shit got, bruh. It's how deep that shit got. Anyways, yeah, so uh, for Enigma Cruise, you can find this man in a bunch of places. You can find him on Instagram at Enigma underscore Cruise. You could also find his band on Instagram as Silent Mantra and on Facebook, Silent Mantra Band. Yeah, and uh, so you can go chase him all these places. You can go find him, see what he's doing, see what the band's doing. And uh, they're working on things. Keep your eyes open there. They're, they're working on projects that you guys can go listen to, that you guys can enjoy. And I will assure you, I have seen the previous work. It is phenomenal. You guys will definitely enjoy. He is a creator at heart, and he puts himself in there. And you can tell. You can definitely see the work develop. Again, if you just go to his social medias, like we just said, you will see the work happening. It's very actively taking place. As for us, you can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Just Convo Pod. You could also find the podcast on 
our website, greatthoughts.info, on iTunes, on Podbean, on Google Podcasts, and other places. Yes, and remember to subscribe, rate, review the show, leave us comments. And let people know about us. Yes, uh, word of mouth, people. Nice and powerful. Share it with anybody who would be interested in stuff like this. Specifically an episode like this. Share it with people who like music. Share it with people who uh, like cre- like discussions on creationism. Like creating. People who like creating perspectives on that thing. People who... There was a lot of morality discussion. People who have just interest in perspectives on morality and ego there was we covered quite a couple of topics here it's a particularly again one of my favorite episodes mine's too this has been the just conversation podcast take nothing personal and thanks for listening bye bye How do we get one? How do we get different color palettes, man? I don't know. Olive drab. That's it, right there. Olive drab. It's a dark yellow. Envy. It almost looks brown. It almost looks green, but it's like it almost looks black, but it's actually yellow. No. Olive drab. I don't know. I feel like it is a sort of brown. This is sort of brown. Mm. That looks complicated. Nope. No. We need something with like a shit ton of colors. I don't know why they just keep giving us the same fucking color spectrum. Here is uh, just brown, sort of. Dark brown, darkest brown. (laughs) And then black. The darkest brown. Is the darkest brown too dark? Is there a color between... If, if do Can we find something that has a color between that brown and the other green?